We bought a mic, a pop culture podcast. Listomania is almost done with our top TV shows of 2019. Almost there, guys. Thank God we're almost done. I mean, I was just telling Drew this earlier. It's kind of a dead season right now. Like, there's not really... Um, The Outsider is on right now, and that is an amazing television show that we will be talking about when we eventually can talk about new things. Eh. This is going to be Fleabag all over again. I can feel it. I'm Ernest. I am Hunter. And I'm Skimbleshanks. The railway (laughs) cat. See, we've just been recording all these in a room for the the past 14 hours. So Drew just, it it makes sense that he's still in this cat's character. How long do you think I'm going to do this? As long as you want. Because I I mean, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it till I like forget. Too. Like I'm gonna do it as long as I have remember. you have I'll you seen these cats. articles of like the the showings at the Alamo Draft House? Yeah, the, the rowdy. Meowdy. Yeah, <laughs> who said that? Who said Meowdy? It was like the Washington Post. Okay, don't don't read them. <laughs> uh, but I, apparently, people are showing up in like full furry getup, and it's like. Are you ironic? Yeah, or? like, ha, ha, ha. I should get this. <laughs> this is what Hollywood wanted the whole time was just to, yeah. like... Dude, what if I, like, wore the enough? fursuit that I already had yeah. in my closet? I'm like, just going to wear a tail. It's funny because yeah. it's bad. Dude, yeah. it'd be I so didn't, funny didn't, if I, like, dressed up like an animal and then, like, went around a bunch of kids and then, like, had sex with other people dressed up like animals. Yes. So, number one TV show, Cats. Mm-hmm. Number two, Cats. Mm-hmm. Um, number three is just Cinemax as a whole. Number Cinecats. Cinecats. Number four is uh, shrill meowing of cats. Oh no! So I think we can end the episode there. Um, <laughs> yeah. thank Thanks you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get into the list in a second because I wanted to ask you guys something because I feel like this year, at least for my TV or for my movies and albums list for 2019, I was pretty confident about it compared to my 2018 list. My 2018 list, I had a lot of anxiety about it. I was freaking out about what I was going to put in it. And this year, I, I was, I don't know, maybe that speaks to like the quantity of good stuff of the year. Maybe it speaks to like the fact that we've been doing this show for a while, but my albums and, and movies list, I've, I've pretty much had fairly locked. My TV one, I, I mean, I'm not anxious about it, but the thing is, is like my top five are like perfect shows, yeah, like 10 yeah. out of 10 perfect shows. So it's like the stackedness of it is so much more prevalent in this list than in the yeah, others. Yeah, I uh, luckily this year I watched... I'm not joking. I watched 10 really good shows. Exactly. Like that. There were only 10 shows that could possibly be on my list. Uh, And so I'm happy about that. And then the order, like I said, I think what we may be experiencing guys is 
the positive effects of having a retcon episode. Right. You know what I mean? Because mm. guess what? If I fuck up today, we'll just do a fucking retcon. And I think every day is a retcon episode, if you really think about it. The, yeah. The, the lists that we say today are just the way we feel right now. So speaking to that, we left one glaring omission oh, from all this, of our lists yeah. uh, whenever we did our best TV of the decade. And to be fair, it would be hard to point out one single season of the show uh, and that's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which we didn't I'm sure even mention we didn't it. even mention. It. I was and so disappointed I'm, in myself. I'm disappointed in myself, too, that we even talked because this is one of the best long running comedies ever yeah. on television. Oh, yeah. um, and it's hard. I was like looking through the seasons to even figure out which one would be on my list. I would put one of them on there. But it's hard to even pick a certain season because they're all so consistently good. All of them are like 10 episodes long and eight of them are fucking incredible. Like that, you don't get that kind of hit rate with a show that is now on its 14th season this year, which by the way, I watched the new season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and it's still a great show. I think it gets better and better. They're just like flexing how good they are at this now because it's like the only thing that they really do. So they are refining it to perfection. Well, I mean, yeah, especially now they're going all in on like the like they're almost they're doing what South Park used to do really well, especially now in the later seasons where just each episode has a theme and they're just going all in on like we're just going to do a satire of like this movie or this book or this idea. Yeah, it is for very the South Park. Episode. You're right. But and now South Park kind of moved away from that, and it's not as good of a show. And I think that this is a better. It's throughout its run. I mean, this is just a more consistent show. Yeah, it's it's incredible what they've achieved. It's almost sort of like what happened to John Mulaney, where these guys saw this show initially as a springboard. They all had really lofty aspirations, and then they got largely like what they wanted but none of it like fully worked right like Mm -hmm. rob mcelhenny has had a minecraft movie in some flux state he's off for like now yeah for like five years it was announced he was working on it charlie day has like started movies but they just weren't good uh and then glenn howerton got ap bio and it was canceled Mm. uh well now uh, and the mick similarly yeah rob mccallini has a upcoming apple plus show which i will say they have been advertising the shit for what Um, what is it it's i can't it has a weird ass name it's almost like it's it gave me vibes the commercial of halt and catch fire but a comedy which i mean it's like they're in some kind of a game company and they're like this will be the thing that we are known for is this mythic quest yeah um, oh wow! Oh, Danny Pudi is in yeah, it. Yeah, there's a. It's a good cast. Yeah. I have high yeah, hopes. Danny Pudi. Like, yeah. What is this on? What? It's on Apple. Apple TV. That's. Plus. I mean, that's a better uh, option than you know. Like, I would be really upset if it were on NBC. Like, right. AP Bio and the Mick was on. I think Fox. Like, I don't want that shit. I want it to be on something that's but, unmoored from like censors at least. Oh, yeah. Charlie Day is also. Yeah, involved. Charlie Day's uh, in the cast. It's about video game developers. Okay, I'm into it. Good, it's good it's Hot and Catch Fire, but a comedy. Um, and you know, I haven't, I haven't watched any of the Apple TV shows. I don't know if I will. You're not a big C guy. Well, Little America is coming. It's out. It's out. Yeah. I want to see that. Yeah, that looks good. Um, yeah, uh, Emily. The morning show. Emily. No interest whatsoever. No way. Um, we, need, you know, what we need more centrism. Yeah, <laughs> in, this, in this country, <laughs> I, I'm with Pete. Pete Holmes, that is. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I think. Uh, well, I, you guys didn't I, really answer my question, though. Compared to 2018, would you say that the TV list 
is the 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 one that has the top is better. Yeah. Yes. The one that has like leveled up. Yes. The top of my list this year is better than it was last year. I'd say that that's I honestly I feel that way about all three of our lists that we do for albums, TV, and music. It was just a better year. I think that this is just a better year for art, at least in my opinion. I really struggled on seven through ten. Really, seven through fifteen. I have, let's see, thirteen. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I have 20 shows on my list. And really, like, between 7 through 15, they could all kind of slide into my top 10, depending on the day. We're going to talk about movies next week. And I think the the movies this this year are, f- like, phenomenal. But I think just me personally, I've, like, come to terms with leaving things out of the list. So it's mm-hmm. not about the quality of movies being worse. It's just, like, I'm okay with leaving some things out. But with the, with the music list this year, I feel like the quality, the, the quantity and the quality just wasn't there for me this year compared to 2018. It was just, like overflow of great albums for me last year and that's kind of how i'm feeling with uh with my tv list a little bit and there's like one show in particular that would have made my list but i i needed to factor in the fact that a lot of shows wrapped up in 2019 a lot of fucking Mm -hmm. shows ended guys and i wanted to include uh a couple of those in my list because this is like the last chance uh because they're over now and there's like a couple shows that you know are 100 percent worthy of the top 10 but i left them off because they're gonna be going for a little bit longer and they're likely to pop up in uh in coming years yeah i also i did leave at least two that i think will show up on y'all's list somewhere i left off my list because i know there's a couple of shows that i've talked about before on the podcast that i really love that i want to highlight a little bit more all right well with that i think we should get into it um any any final thoughts drew or do you want to just go and jump in well what has happened in the past few seconds over here (laughs) is i did realize uh in counting the number of shows on my list, <laughs> I, I was counting uh, the thing that said TV shows of 2019. Right. So I, I, that was no, your number one is <laughs> top shows of tell, the year. It's like when a uh, CNN or Time made the person of the year you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the mirror on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna give <laughs> the album of the year is your uh, hard drive. I I have no choice but to give number ten to both Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, that's just how it has to be. We're yeah. in a very divisive time. I think that'll world. make everyone happy. Yeah. My <laughs> number one is the weekly. Well, first we have to we have to release our Patreon uh, reality show that we had. That's pitting all of. Mm-hmm. We're bringing the TV shows in one at a time. Well, here's I'm <laughs> almost I'm almost glad that this has happened because I want to talk. I would feel dirty and icky if I put this on my actual list. So let's say it's not. Let's say I have a top nine and, and a dis, <laughs> uh, and a dishonorable mention. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do, like, I still can't stop thinking about The Bachelorette, uh, Hannah B's mm. season. It's a great season um, to because, Well, the thing is, the central flaw of these awful, awful shows is that they are simply asking non-actors to uh, act, it, like, to put it uh, heavily. And even if not act, they're, they're putting them in situations where a reaction is 
not something that you have experience with. Mm -hmm. And so, and also putting cameras on while they have to make that base. And that can make for great TV. Uh, That's the conceit of shows like Nathan for you, but it can also make for uh, really, really wooden quote unquote performances by people who are uh, deer in headlights when it comes to being on camera. This season of the bachelorette was really good though. It was, it was a great season of really trashy, dumb reality television. Uh, two giant reasons why the first is Hannah Brown, uh, the chosen bachelorette. It was great. And I cannot understate how important it is that the lead of the seasons of this show is a good to watch, like, like compelling in any way. Because most of the time they're not. Yeah, I was gonna say, just speaking to the bachelor that's going on right now, this dude sucks. Well, they all most so. of the guys uh, really suck. Like yeah. the bachelorette is better because the central woman is uh, just generally be- a better human. Also, and- <laughs> it's more fun to watch dudes like fight yeah. with each other. That's the other thing is, yo, it- bro, you fuck my girl. Like, yeah. yo, bro, <laughs> it's it's way better to watch a bunch of bros try to master the art of passive aggression, which they have almost no experience with. It's really, really funny. So this is your number 10? Yeah, sure. Why not? No, so, <laughs> so Hannah Brown, insanely compelling, like actually very emotional. She opened up doors for this season to actually talk about social issues that the show had never addressed before, uh, like slut shaming. Uh, Hannah Brown was one of the first contestants to be open about the fact that she was had slept with people before. Uh, and... Uh, she. The other great part about this season is Luke, of course. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't, you could not draw a better villain. Yeah, no. One of the greatest like bad one guys the, in reality TV one history. Of the generally the worst people I've ever seen in my life. Like a true like snake in the fucking grass. A, an awful, awful man who is too stupid to get out of his own way. He could have won really easily. Mm-hmm. He he stole her heart like the first episode because she's pretty dumb. I love her. She's very compelling but she's pretty dumb and he told her what she wanted to hear uh and then he was so fucking weird and catty with all the other guys that eventually he he got like a few dudes kicked off the show and then finally finally uh she he got eliminated but it was really really compelling tv so i did want to say one thing about luke that i thought of was that he kind of reminds me i used to uh back in the day i used to love survivor and he almost reminded me of a survivor person we they are like they're stupid, but they have like moments of genius, but it's like evil genius in them that they're able to like manipulate people well, in such a, but we're looking at it from the outside perspective. So we can look down on it and just be like, oh, this is so clear what he is doing, yeah. but he has such like a way, like his, I guess you can call it charisma that he has that like he gets people to buy into his bullshit in such yeah. an effective well, way. Well, it's it's almost like a Donald Trump style effect where mm-hmm. he's good at manipulating stupid people because he's a little bit smarter than stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but my God, is he dumb? <laughs> like, <laughs> every Everyone was stupid. Uh, we had some really likable guys on the season, which is another big plus because a lot of the time it's just a bunch of duds who suck shit, mm-hmm. like absolutely blow. Uh, and that is why it's like reality TV in general is the least consistent uh, type of television because it all depends on who you point the camera at. And in shows like this that are cyclical, they really sometimes just do not get the crop. And this season they really did. Yeah. So that's The Bachelorette. Yeah. And wow. it, is, it is my uh, what I'm not going to I don't want to like it. to change it to Love Hotel. Love Island, Love, Love Island, Love pa- Island, and Paradise Hotel. Paradise, Paradise Hotel, Hotel, fucking awful, <laughs> terrible yes. show, so bad. It is Drew's number ten official no. Bam oh, canon. God damn it! <laughs> um, 
Which and brings he's just us like, to he's like we have to wait another five years until we can do a retcon no, episode for this. I just because I don't like it doesn't mean there's no value in it. You also don't respect the beauty of Hallmark movies, so well there is a value in trash TV, like in enjoying trash TV like that. It doesn't all have to be like cerebral, mind bending, yeah. thoughtful, well, shit. and also sometimes. Frankly, I'm not in the mood to watch acting. Exactly. I want to watch like real people in impossible situations. Like that's why Nathan Views may be my favorite show ever. But in a show like this that takes itself a lot more seriously, you can still find so many of those moments where someone is just like, and also, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? TV this is, is insane. TV is art, but also TV is entertainment. So life is hard. And sometimes you just want to turn your brain off and just have some easygoing no yeah. pressure type TV. It's, and it, and I do regret uh, that my number 11 is Fleabag, but... <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I guess I should say my number 10 was the season of Fox and Friends. Um, <laughs> really think they had something special going on. Yeah. Red Eye. Best performance, Donald J. Trump. Oh, what a guy. Oh, man. Really imagine if, imagine if that was real. He really had us going there for a while. Mm. I really thought it was all bad. Yeah. So okay. you got the morning show on your list, right? <laughs> okay. My number 10 of 2019 is Glow on Netflix. Um, this show is uh, really just a fantastic show. I, I, I feel like most more people should try to get into it. It's pretty, uh, pretty easy to watch, but it's also very well acted. The characters are very well realized. It's a big ensemble. You got Alison Brie. You got Mark Marin. Um, it's it's a period piece in the '80s, and it explores a lot of great themes about like camaraderie and sisterhood and friendship and family. And it is about wrestling, but it's also not about wrestling. It's it's about life and it's about struggling and it's about uh, artistry and trying to make it in in showbiz and you know the 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 struggle and the amount of sacrifice that you have to put into to what is required of making it in the business um and i just love the show i just i think it's great it is going i think for one final season this year i think it's four and done um but i really really love it i think more people should try to check it out it's glow on netflix i the, the episodes are only half hour so it's not like a big time commitment uh and again it's just great characters to hang out with uh really touching gets gets to some real human stuff it's glow uh that's my number 10 so hunter you're it's no bachelorette but it's no bachelorette Mm-mm. yeah you're number 10 my number 10 is the fx series what we do in the shadows nice um I love this show. I was I had slightest of reservations going into it because I really love the the movie what we do in the shows. I think it's the best thing that Taika has done up to this date. Um and I think that's such an incredible movie, but it makes so much sense that this would work perfectly in a TV format. Um, the cast, the three main leads that we have are relatively unknowns at least in America. Um uh, it is Natasha Dimitriou. I'm probably getting her last name wrong, but one of the breakout performances of the year. Uh, she is absolutely incredible as Nadja. Matt Barry, who is in the IT crowd, but uh, as like not a 
lead um, in that. And then Kayvon Novak. Um, they're all three are like English actors, British actors who haven't really gotten much work. But the like one of the biggest winners of the show is Mark Porch, um, who just or, yeah. M- yeah, Matt Matt Proach. Mark Proach. Mark Proach. Matt Porch. <laughs> I can't. You're looking at it. <laughs> no, I know. His last name like breaks my brain whenever Proch. I see it. Proch. Mark Proach, which is a really um, good last name because it's so forgettable. It is. <laughs> and it makes. So, I mean, his whole bit is that he plays a daywalker, meaning that he's like the only. He's a vampire who can walk around um, through like during sunlight and everything else and he's an energy vampire so he sucks the energy out of you by just having boring conversations and that's how he feeds it's yeah fucking and hilarious but, some uh, of the mark bits. mark proach also he only plays that character i'm looking at you everything. i was looking at you with pleading eyes because i knew you would <laughs> help me oh, out yeah. matt, matt porch um, <laughs> mark um, probes mark probes <laughs> jeffrey epstein um <laughs> Um, no, he no, no he he only ever does that, and he's always the funniest part of any scene that he's in. On The Office, uh, he you know he said uh, he was the one that was like, "Gum's gotten mintier lately." Have you noticed? <laughs> he has so many. Li- oh my god, I could talk it's, for hours about Mark Prokes. I'm not even joking. He's so good. He's but like, too good. I mean, of course, um, Taika and Jermaine uh, wrote and, or directed most of the episodes this season. There's one episode in particular, uh, episode seven, that is one of the greatest cameo fest ever in like any half hour of comedy. Um, I don't even want to say all the people that are in that episode so that it's like a surprise for you because people just keep popping up and you're like, what the fuck? Um, at one point, one spoiler for a cameo, uh, Wesley Snipe shows up. Oh, and man. And it is so Blade. good. Like, it's it's so funny. Of just people that have played vampires before or people that are playing themselves that look like vampires. Um, that's nice it's such a funny show it's one of the best things that's on TV it is coming back for another season Um, I can't wait I'm all in on whatever this show does and wherever it goes I'm I'm definitely like thousand percent going to watch that in its in its It's, entirety it's all on Hulu right now yep Uh, another uh, one thing I I may note is that I chose not to include any season that I didn't finish of any show Mm. Uh, because uh, what I would absolutely include on my list is season one of los espookies oh yeah that's it um, that's also a great season i i think i have an episode left yeah i have right a now. i have a few le- it, it was like just enough that i wasn't comfortable uh putting on my list because you know i could get arrested for that shit um <laughs> but that show is is really really great i like when i i mean when i saw it, it was fred on anna fabrega and julio torres i was like okay well that's I mean, I know like almost everything about the show off bat because those people, the three of them have such a particular sensibility and they have a lot of overlap in their sensibilities and the show makes use of that really well. It's a great show. Um, All right. So now we're back around to your number nine, Drew. So this is a bit of a curveball. This is something that was included in the ringers best TV of the year. And when I saw it, I was like, shut get the fuck out of here what are you talking about uh because they omitted some pretty big names and over the past two months or so i have been i'm so fully immersed in this youtube channel that uh i had to i had to give it like more than a shout out it's bon appetit's uh test kitchen 
Oh there, yeah, it's a good it's a good show. Multiple series here. Like this this there are tons and tons of series in the test kitchen, but basically Bon Appetit, have I talked about it at all on the pod? I don't think so, but uh, we we watched it together, so I, I know so, exactly what this is. Uh, I've I've been on a flavor journey, as uh, those closest to me might know. The past year or so, you know, I bought the cast iron cookware. I'm putting in the legwork. Uh, I bought two cookbooks, uh, and I in reading that list, I was like, this there is no way that this content is on the level of good television. It is, you know, because it is uh, uh, bon appetit for anyone who doesn't know is a very like I wouldn't call it like a snobby food magazine but it is like an upper crust like it is like a pretty classy establishment um of a magazine it's been around for a long long time they have uh, great recipes by the way but they, it's like everyone who works there is pedigree like it's people who have their masters in like studying uh french culinary linguistics shit like that like insane uh levels of training and know-how uh, and it, as it turns out, they're all pretty telegenic. Like it's kind of a miracle because you would think they would just not be. And I'm sure like plenty of people just don't show up in on this channel. Right. Um, but the channel has two crown jewels because their test kitchen is what it sounds like. They, it is a food magazine. Uh, their recipe people need a space to develop recipes. So they have a giant kitchen that looks like a restaurant kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh, and they work out of the World Trade Center in uh new york city so oh, the new one yeah um not the old one um i don't know i'd have to i think they're in tower seven <laughs> yeah you Jesus you know christ you brought this up ernest you can't recoil <laughs> Jesus. um i well no because keeble remember <laughs> little romeo <laughs> Anyway. So I have, I have the, the YouTube channel pulled up right now, and I can see why they are very successful. They got the branding on point. Well, they got a nice, like, uh, uh, illustrated banner. The, um, the thumbnails are very, like, attention-grabbing, and... It just seems like something I, I want to yeah. dive into. Well, it's all it's shot like very, very like it's not like a uh, like an in-house video. These are like contract killers. They have filming this shit. And like, like now they do just work out of Bon Appetit. But this is like quality filmmaking. Uh, it I grew up watching a ton of Food Network stuff with my family. Uh, because it's it's an agreeable thing to put on in the living room. Yeah, uh, it was one of the only networks that we could all agree on. We, we'd all enjoy watching a Chopped or whatever Top Chef. Fucking love. I will chopped. say, yeah. I I Great did get, shows. I got back on that Hulu with the live TV uh, thing, and one thing that I'm loving is going back in on Unwrapped. They have oh, like yeah. the entire Unwrapped catalog on there, and it's so nice. So uh, what they have captured here is lightning in a bottle. I swear to God, on Bon Appetit's channel, it's like if all the best. Uh, food network employees that you really really like like personality wise which isn't all of them there are plenty of them that you don't love uh, but if they got like Alton Brown in a room with uh, Gianna De Laurentiis or whatever like all these people working out of the same kitchen and all make shooting different shows not at the same time but like if there if one show is shooting anyone that you know from the other series will come and just drop in because they literally work in the room right so they've uh, created essentially the office but real and it's food based like it's really really impressive the dine and the uh the evolution over just this year alone because what happened is uh bon appetit was bought out by conde nast i think i'm saying that right the the giant media conglomerate that owns a lot of uh you know, magazine content they owned reddit for a while i don't know if they still do um 
and they brought in uh, a guy, I think his last name is Rappaport. He's coming from GQ and GQ has a really polished YouTube presence. And that was part of his plan for Bon Appetit was to up their uh, video presence because food video content is going through the roof right now. Like Tasty changed the entire game. Yeah. But that's not like high quality shit, honestly. Like those recipes aren't very good on Tasty. They're mostly flashy. Uh, and meant to like, you know, watch with no audio on Facebook. Right. Uh, and what what happened is a couple years ago, because uh, they had a bunch of like really like, you know, like classy, just like, here's how you make uh, omelette du fromage or whatever. Like really, you know, like beef Wellington, fancy shit. Uh, one of the video editors kind of went off on his own and filmed <laughs> the kitchen manager of Bon Appetit, Brad uh, Leone, uh, just because Brad is really into fermentation. And so he just filmed, shot a video just to pitch of Brad making kombucha. And this guy, Brad, is the only person that works for Bon Appetit that did not come from like the upper crust of society. Like this guy just like worked his way up uh, through actual like kitchen scenes. And he's like a real guy. He is the closest analog to uh, Chris Pratt in Parks and Recreation that you'll ever see personality wise. Like unbelievable ADHD all over the place. Like he's just like a puppy dog. He's immensely likable. Uh, and it basically it sold the concept of making funner shows to uh, bon Appetit magazine. And then they pivoted it to this and now they have it's alive with Brad, which is an entire series where Brad just makes whatever the fuck he wants. And it's like, it's a comedy series straight up. The editing is totally different. It's almost like absolutely style editing. Uh, and then their, I think their biggest crown jewel is gourmet makes with Claire Saffitz, mm. who is, uh, one of the most, she probably has the highest approval rating of anyone that I've ever showed people in my life. Uh, she, She's not like hilarious, but she's funny. She's just absolutely brilliant. And her show is called Gourmet Makes. And she basically attempts to recreate from scratch uh, like different snack products like that. You would just, you know, like lower tier that everyone has eaten. Again, this is part of the pitch is they're trying Pizza to roll. Yeah, they're making content that's accessible for everybody. Ben and Jerry's. And the show has become like a comedy it's it's the most office style because they just they basically just stopped cutting out all the like the side little quests and they just started including everything because people like just spending time in this test kitchen because it's a fucking dream job it's incredible um and the evolution of the show over just this year had or last year i guess like it, it's it's an impressive pivot because magazines are just fucking dying uh there's is not money in magazines anymore and I mean, these are all people who are getting paid very handsomely and they're working in the priciest real estate in the priciest city. Uh, and now this is how they're making their buck. Like the, it's such a successful pivot that the magazine keeps gets to keep thriving. But not because of the magazine. Yeah, no. They, the magazine's useless at this point. Yeah, they have, I think they have all of their recipes online for free. Right. Like, I mean, there was that era when places like Rolling Stone was like, oh, we're going to keep the magazine as the main thing, but our online content's going to be like the B tier. And that was like a whole thing in the early 2000s. And yeah. now it's like nobody gives a fuck yeah. about the print. Right. And also this is infotainment. 
entertainment. Like you were learning so much. Even the comedic series with Brad, he's really good at fermenting and like he'll make like miso paste from scratch. And you're like, what? Like it's it's all insanely smart people who just also happen to be entertaining and just savvy, savvy video making. If you had to pick one of them to recommend to people, what would it be? Uh, if you want funnier, it's Alive with Brad. If you want uh, funny, but also uh engaging like it gourmet makes is a journey like it is a hero's journey from start to finish of claire yeah, those were the ones that i, that I yeah claire I was goes, gonna say gourmet makes has been the it's unreal she goes through like the seven stages of grief every video trying to figure out how to make like a fucking dorito <laughs> it's uh, it's so so good and you're watching a genius at work because she she is doing things that i could i could go to school for like 20 years and not be half this right. smart or like try it and fail and give up and never yeah try it again. it's 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 about the love of the scientific process of cooking like yeah. that's what i love about it because it's about how cooking is trying and failing and that's fine it's really beautiful awesome that's uh bon appetit's youtube channel it has five and a half million 5.2 million followers and you should be the next one listener you should be the 501st millionth um that's drew's <laughs> number nine which brings us to my number nine which is true detective oh on HBO. I forgot uh, about I, I didn't watch it, but I totally forgot this came out. Yeah, Mahershala Ali gives one of the best performances of the year as this hardened uh, old man uh, who you you see his his old age getting a little bit of Alzheimer's, a little bit of de- a dementia, uh, and then you flash back to his middle age and, and his youth and this uh, murder case that has haunted him his entire life. Uh, and it's just a really well-crafted show. It's a it's a bounce back for Mr. Nick Pizzolatto, who didn't really hit the mark with True Detective Season 2. Um, and I, again, this is just like a fucking flex from Mahershala. Like, he just knocks it out of the park as this guy in the three completely different stages of of his life playing a young man a middle-aged man and an old man and you buy it and i mean the the makeup is a huge part of it too it's it's really good makeup but his performance is just pitch perfect for each different timeline that we're seeing and pizzolatto's writing this season is sort of a commentary about what we expect out of murder shows and out of crime stories where it becomes a little bit subversive and it becomes a little bit of a, of a switcheroo of where we expect these types of stories to go and the types of twists and turns that we uh, expect to get from, from stories like um, this. I found it really resonant. Did you see the news today about Pizza Lotto? He's back with McConaughey on yeah. something. He's moving his overall deal to fx well fox but like for now just fx and he's getting a drama with mcconaughey nice and it's called redeemer nice uh i'm excited for that yeah i mean after the beach bum that was like peach peak mcconaughey so i don't know if we'll ever have well, anything I mean, better i will say he was just he's in the gentleman in theaters now oh. which is in which he's like supplies uh all of the weed to the uk so i don't think he's fully out of his mcconaughey okay. at all maybe he's riding this high i did i did get a free a thing for a free uh flask for 
pick the gentleman. So did, maybe I'll did watch you? that. Yeah, I did. I don't know if I'm going to pay for the shipping. Have it sent to me. <laughs> guy, a Guy Ritchie joint? Yeah. Wow. Um, no, I will say this was one of the ones that it was hard for me to make the cut uh, whenever I was doing this list because you said Mahershala is amazing. Stephen Dorff is great. Yes. Who like going, if we, I mean, we're younger, but 40 years ago, he was going to be the yeah, next he was big like A-list guy. guy. Like, Him he and was like going Michael be, Madsen. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like they were the guys cliff. who were right there and then they just didn't quite make it onto the scene but he gives an amazing performance with Mahershala is just like going all in like he never seems overwhelmed by the scenes or by the moments or anything and their relationship as the season goes on I think works really well yeah that's really the big through I mean, line is this friendship that's what it it that's kind of it goes back to what worked about season one was just having this two-hander performance between right. these two great actors bouncing off of each other They're season two was different. too sprawling too many I different never, I watched the first episode yeah. of season two also it was it was just a moment um you know, like the moment just it went by and the, the fact that season two was notably worse made it worse. But like the fact that it wasn't going to have McConaughey and Harrelson yeah. again was already just killing it. Yeah. Like that's all people wanted was more of those two. But, but the story ended. But getting Mahershala for this one was just a masterstroke because this is one of the best working actors right now. And to have him in this role that explores, uh, you know, how a a case like this a murder case can define your life you know as a cop and and how this unsolved murder can can haunt you until you're this old man filled with regret waiting to die alone he just knocks it out of the park i loved his performance one of the best performances of the year the show itself didn't get as much as a claim as i i think it deserved but if you haven't checked it out it's worth watching just for him and it's worth watching to uh uh enjoy the the vibe that that pizzolato puts across uh the the eeriness the the sort of occult nature of what he's doing here um, it's it's set in like Arkansas, and they, there's just like this middle America, uh, very similar to that season one Louisiana vibe to it. That is is very dark and moody. So I really really loved it. It's True Detective three on HBO. Um, my number nine. So Hunter, your number nine. My number nine is Looking for Alaska. Mm. Um, I talked about this uh, a while ago, right whenever it first came out a few months ago. I love this show. And I will say, like, I found it probably because we are no longer the demo for something like this, but increasingly difficult to get into YA things, young adult stuff. But I think that Ready Player One. Uh, well, Ray Player One is a masterpiece. It's Stephen oh! King's magnum opus. Um, it's the greatest thing. Stephen King. Stephen, <laughs> Stephen Spielberg. The Shining scene <laughs> yeah. is the peak of Stephen King it adaptations. Is. That's Stephen King came out and he said that Ray Player One is a better movie than yeah. The Shining. Yeah. And I agree with him. Um, <laughs> no, I found it increasingly difficult to get into young adult things but there's a lot of things about this show that work better than other young adult adaptations um specifically uh, especially with the cast um i love charlie Plummer. uh last year i had lean on pete in my top 10 movies of the year i think that he is one of the best young actors working but he's really the only main actor of note that's in this show otherwise it's a lot of unknowns uh christine froseth uh plays alaska young like kind of the co-lead along with uh, Miles Pudge 
Um, and then a few guys that have just never acted before. Denny Love plays the Colonel, and he is incredible. Like you cannot take your eyes off of him anytime that he's on the screen. Because, I mean, I've never read the book Looking for Alaska, but he he's like a smaller guy like he's easily like the shortest of all them but he has this kind of confidence to him that's the same with the book he's a very magnetic character you can't like teach that in act like that you like walk in and you immediately are just drawn to this guy and he is just carries this natural born leader quality to him um Another couple guys that are amazing. Timothy uh, Simmons, who I'm not really familiar with anything that he's done before, plays the Eagle. I know that he's in Veep. Um, he was in Draft Day. Oh, uh, Simons. Timothy Simons. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, he's um, a, he's really funny in Veep. He's like he's almost like the Greg the Egg of Veep, but he's like way meaner. He's just like this tall link. He got yeah. no one wants to. He's be also there. he's in Inherent Vice, uh, which is one of the few PTA movies that I have not seen. Um, so I can't come when I was working that. He, he's but, a quality actor. Um, and then the guy who plays uh, Dr. Hyde, Ron Cephas Jones, who's another guy who he's kind of just been around. He was in, he's in like, this is us. He was in Luke Cage. He was in across the universe. Like he's kind of just one of those journeyman actors, but his performance and his character is, it's really like gut wrenching the performance that he gives, uh, which I, I won't get into any kind of spoilers for anybody who hasn't read the book or hasn't seen the show, but I highly, highly recommend it. It's eight episodes long. Um, it was actually a passion project between uh, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. And I highly recommend once you have seen the show, check out uh, the watch did a great interview with the two of them where they talk about, they pretty much worked to get this uh, project made for like, 10 to 15 years um it yeah, is i remember that it's interview. a period piece because it all takes place in like 2006 um but and they like pretty much originally wrote the script to make it a movie then but it kind of was a blessing in disguise that kept getting shelved until now that we're in this tv boom and more people are wanting to turn to tv because i can't imagine this working in a movie format without being like three but hours there was long. there was a john green boom yeah, there was a John Green. And this didn't it get d- caught up in it. Yeah, because it the rights just, were already in play. You right. Know? Like it couldn't be bought because it had already been bought, but the people that bought it just weren't doing anything. Yeah, they weren't <laughs> doing anything about it. Uh, the I mean, I'm glad it's a show, though, because there is a long arc to the book. Like it's it's not an arc that you would want even in like three hours. It is. I mean, and there's a major it's, twist that happens in like episode six. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of spend the last two episodes like dealing with yeah. it and all the fallout of it which it reminds me of uh just a lot of a lot of show a lot of books especially but even tv shows whenever they try to do book adaptations because in books you can kind of try and have the last couple chapters be about their repercussions behind these actions um mm-hmm. but it doesn't always work in the tv format i think they do a great job of here and they also do an incredible job in this show of making you feel like you are a teenager along with these people like the whole thing there's a the whole thing where they're doing like all these different pranks and everything and like one of them is about to get caught and there's this whole thing about snitching and it feels like it's like the biggest thing in the world much like it would if you were a teenager while this is happening where Mm. it might not be as serious and granted there are some very serious things that do happen in this but it puts you in the mindset of a teenager unlike uh it just something that most of these shows don't get right awesome that's looking for alaska it's on hulu right now and it's hunters number eight so drew my number nine. Oh, sorry number nine drew your number eight 
is Catastrophe season four, the final season. Is it on your list, Ernie? It's not, no. Mm. This one ended up being a little bit low just because of the sheer amount of TV that I watched, but I loved it. I love this show. Um, I don't know if it was my favorite season. No, it wasn't. It was definitely not my favorite season. But uh, that's it's, why it's low on my list. It's a strong, strong show overall. Well, and a very strong finale. Like the the final episode is extremely good. Like really, really, really good. The final five minutes are uh, tear jerking. Like they're really quality television. This has just been a really great show throughout. I've yeah. I've enjoyed every second I've spent watching this show. They're a great duo. They are. Yeah, Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan. This is on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, so obviously hasn't gotten a ton of views. <laughs> um, but they write every episode too. They yeah, they write every episode together, which is really interesting because uh, one, th- I I've been kind of I've been like letting stew in my mind a lot the difference. There's a really fine line between uh, wanting more of a show. Uh, just because it's so good and wanting more of a show because that would make it a little better. And I think that a little more of this show per season would make it a little better. But it's so much work for them. I know. That's that's what I'm saying. It's hard because then it would have less of their voice. Uh, But the episodes are written in such a way that you would think that seasons are longer because so much, so many conflicts are introduced and resolved within every episode, which is usually how shows... Uh, maintain economy over the course of a large season, but these are really short seasons. And like you said, it's because they do it. Um, But it, it's one of those shows that it's extremely good, but I, it left me wanting a little more, particularly in the final season. Um, Well, here's some things I really liked about that final season is it explores Rob's uh his character's alcoholism really well and very autobiographical by the yeah, way rob exactly rob delaney is an alcoholic did get into a car crash that almost killed him oh so that was even auto yeah but oh, th- it's very different because he had like no family yet when this happened this was when he was young he got into a car crash that like broke all his legs and he oh did God. get in trouble with the law and shit and he's been sober since then so wow. it's very personal and here's stuff. another thing i loved the fact that carrie fisher plays his mother and uh, because she passed away, they kill her character in the show, and then they deal with the grief of the loss of a mother pretty well, yeah, and while, while not losing the comedy. And the character that she played was very close to Carrie Fisher's personality. Yeah. So they were grieving Carrie Fisher. Right. Um, and it was pretty beautiful to watch them like toe that line there's a lot going on in the episode and then there's all these other ancillary characters as well and then the kids are a big presence too. the fact that they have to be parents as well it's not just about them being a couple they're also Um, yeah i also have children i really appreciate that one of my favorite things about the show is the fact that they are really moody petty people like they (laughs) genuinely they will get into several fights per season where you would just think that that would be it on a normal show because on a normal show everyone gets along until they don't and then it's over and and usually 
on a regular kind of sitcom type thing, the argument is like the crux of the episode. Yeah, but and it's, it's not. overcoming the the argument, and then yeah. that's like the resolution of the episode. In this show, they sprinkle in so many arguments that it's just like part of the dynamic yeah. of the whole thing. And yeah, well, that was the other thing I wanted to mention is the way that they introduce and resolve conflicts is rolling in a way that is so different from sitcoms. But it feels so real. Yeah, because it'll be it'll be yeah. It's just like you said, like the maybe like five minutes into an episode there a big conflict will be introduced uh that you think will be the axis of the episode and then maybe like 10 minutes later it's solved and then the rest of the episode is just about a different conflict that is also happening like it it's a rolling system of conflict introduction resolution uh that defies the structure that the show sometimes sticks to uh and i i i appreciate it like i really appreciate what they did here um, it's it's very much a passion project. Uh, it's a little sad that it's over, but it is. Um, okay. But I'm excited to do good things. Yeah, I'm excited for what each of them do in the future. Um, it's it's just a really. It was a pleasure to watch. You and me had a lot of good times yeah, watching this show early on. Over, yeah, Hell over yeah. the years, uh, the way every episode ends is it's never he- disappointing. Yeah, my, uh, he- it's not it's not the numa numa song (laughs) that's kind of what it sounds like yeah well basically it's a banjo it's like you you hear yeah you hear the music welling up for like a minute and you're like oh here it comes and every episode ends on such a great moment you just literally have to watch the next one yeah and so like the second it ends on that moment that's when the the yodeling comes in or whatever and then you're like oh i gotta finish the season (laughs) they're so short it's like fleabag level yeah Yeah. half hour episodes six episodes a season boom yeah really good shit it's catastrophe like i was saying so many shows ended in 2019 and this was one of them gonna miss it but i'm glad that it ended on somewhat of a high note i'm glad it existed yeah like there is a landscape uh 10 years ago where this show never sees the light of day right you know and so it's it's a miracle yeah i loved it it's catastrophe uh it's drew's number eight my number eight is fossey verdon on fx God damn, I love this show. It's pretty flawed, but it's just the type of thing that, like, for me is perfect because of my interests and what I'm into. Leah's shaking her head that I said flawed. She's angry. <laughs> Lee um, hates it. Actually, she's kicking me out. <laughs> okay. Um, It's, you know, it, it does fall into some genre tropes, you know, the anti-hero. Wait, so does Lee not like it or does she She like loves it? it. She thinks oh, okay. it's perfect. Wow, she, she says it's it's number one in the best. We should get oh. like a room mic. I'm assuming Michelle Williams is your actress of the year. So I fucking love Phoebe Waller Bridge in Fleabag, and objectively, she would take the crown of the best female performance of the year. But to me, what Michelle Williams is doing as Gwen Verdon and Fosse Verdon is like transcendental like she disappears and completely embodies another person flawlessly it is fucking incredible what she accomplished and also sam rockwell as as bob fossey is is also incredible and just really least happy again <laughs> really gets into the, the nitty-gritty of of what made this guy such a genius but what i'm trying to get at about about like some of the genre trappings is that like we've seen characters like like this in tv plenty of times this really flawed womanizer type tortured artist exactly yeah but the genius of this show is that it's not just about bob fossey 
It's about Gwen Verdon, who was always there alongside him, by his side, every step of the way, and never got the clout, never got the acknowledgement, never got the recognition that she deserved for her talent and for her role in making him a fucking superstar. Like, he really owed it to her for the success that he found. And, of course, him being a man and her being a woman, the way things go is that he gets all the acclaim and the woman is just relegated to a footnote. Well, especially at that time period in which Bob Fosse had his rise. It's like 70s. 70s. Yeah, yeah. And I just really love this show. The way they put it together stylistically was very in line with his own approach to filmmaking and choreography and dance. Um it, it it just is a, a a spectacle, and it's a true testament to what peak TV can accomplish in this day and age. To bring this talent, to put something out there that isn't trying to be this long drawn out thing that's that's already set out to be this uh, you know limited uh, series. I think it was only nine episodes or something. And every single episode had a point to make about a certain era of of this guy's life and and this couple's life. And I just I just adored it. I adored it. Oh, Margaret Qualley is also in there of uh, of leftovers fame and once upon a time in Hollywood fame. And uh, it, there's just a bunch of other people in the extended cast that that I think is great. You get to see tons of choreography, tons of dance numbers, musical numbers. Uh, you really get the full experience of Fosse in this show. Um, it's just really, truly phenomenal. Highly, highly recommend it. It's worth the journey, worth the experience. Really gets you to, to, to think deeply about... Um, what what it's like to be wrapped up in in the thick of it all, uh, especially in this time period, you know, with the drugs and all of that shit. Um, and yeah, it, it just gives me a, a whole new appreciation for Fosse and and watching his films after learning about his story and and Gwen Verdon's role in it, it. It just makes me see his work in a different lens and, and have an even deeper layer of appreciation for it. Is FX the second best network behind H- HBO? HBO? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're quality. They, they steward talent. That is you one know, thing that I... It's not just about content. I mean, I do... I think that I'm confident, I'm semi-confident that FX will still retain its quality despite the Disney merger, because I think that's where they're going to keep putting more stuff, more of their edgier stuff is on FX or FXX, if they keep FXX being a thing. Um, but I, I, I hope so. Do you think that they'll change it since they dropped the Fox from... 21st century fox so they'll let's go with x and xx <laughs> xxx uh yeah <laughs> no they better keep fx that's a cool name yeah yeah all right so fossey verdon is my number eight of the year hunter you're number eight my number eight is a show that i can't recommend to everyone but i personally found it absolutely incredible and that is hbo's euphoria 
I really need to see this. It's, it's like I recommend it to the two I of you guys. It. I can't it's recommend it to everybody because it is extremely stylized. Um, I'm glad that I don't have children right now after watching the mm. show because I feel like that might make it a little bit difficult to watch a show like this. Um, it's a show. It's kind of a parent's worst nightmare uh, watching something like this, knowing that your kids might be out doing this yeah. and. Uh, 2019 um i think it is so stylized that it does have a sense of otherworldliness to it i mean you don't even you know that they're kind of just in the valley like the suburbs of california while they're making this but it does feel like it is of a different place um if it's not phoebe waller bridge i think zendaya gives the best performance of the year zendaya is I did not know that she had this is kind she of a Michi? performance in it. She is, she is Michi. Um, she is like on another level with the layers to her performance that she gives in this show are absolutely incredible. And watching her journey as the season goes on with somebody who is a drug addict as a teenager, as somebody who's under 18 that has had every tried every drug in the book and is trying to cope with sobriety. Um, Hunter Schaefer, who becomes her best friend, uh, breakout performance of the year easily. Uh, she is absolutely incredible. I love her so much. Um, Jacob Elordi. If you guys haven't seen him, I, Invite the viewers to look up a picture of this guy. It's Jacob E L O R D I. Um, probably the most punchable face that I've ever seen in my life. Like, I would have to reach up for him because he is six foot four. But dear God, I hate this person. After watching the show, he plays evil in a way that I very few people can capture in a way that it's it's real evil, which I think is why it's it makes you hate him even more. He plays like this quarterback star Ew. of the football team. He's the star in a he's the love interest in the Netflix movie Kissing Booth. He's like um, he's like a Chad Josh Hutcherson. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a good description of him. <laughs> no, like he has the most punchable face I've ever seen in my life and he is an incredible actor. I don't I'm saying this because he is such a good actor that especially after you just see him his only other real credit is that he's in the Kissing Booth and you're like, "Well, I don't does he really have chops to be in a in a like a primetime show like this, but he absolutely nails it. And his journey with uh, his father specifically is just incredible. I really, really love this show. If you, it's not a show that is the best kind of binging thing um, because there's especially a few episodes in here that are a lot. Um, it's probably not good for your health to just binge it all in one sitting. I know. Friend of the podcast, Colin, I think did that, but oh, he has no, a stronger Colin. he has a stronger soul than most people that I know. Um, I I can't recommend this show enough yeah. to certain types we, of people. We it's really be, it, it. I will say the direction is phenomenal. Like we it looks like we prescribe else. only one episode of Euphoria per twenty four hours. Mm. If you if you consume more than one episode of Euphoria, please reach out to your doctor, yeah. <laughs> and your doctor will be like, "Yeah, I heard you get holes in your head if you do it too, like <laughs> without taking a break." Um, I, one thing I do know is that the soundtrack is amazing. Oh, the soundtrack Listen is incredible. It. It's really, I mean, it is like, it's probably the most 2019 show that there is. Like, I I feel like if I would have saw this show whenever I was like 16, 17, whenever this came out, this might be like my favorite show ever made because it captures drug use in one of the most real ways. I w will say I've never touched a drug, not one drug in my entire life. Yeah, plenty of soil um, though. 
I as I'm like sitting here binge drinking Bon and Viv, um, but <laughs> alcohol is good. Is that all they do in Listen, Euphoria? Yeah, they just drink. They just drink White Claw on the beach. <laughs> That sounds awesome. It's actually just Big Little. That's the best I've ever. It's actually felt. just Big Little Lies season two that I'm recommending. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that this it, it's an incredible uh, season of television. I, I cannot wait for it to come back on. I really need to watch it. It's been like at the top of my watch list for months, and I've just keep putting it off. And I didn't get to it before this podcast, but I will watch it. Yeah, it's Euphoria. It's Hunter's number eight. Drew, your number seven, Rummy. Wow, this is yes. a hard cut. It was a tough to cut you know, this from my I'll, list. I'm going to give this an award. This was my biggest surprise yeah. of the year. I did not expect uh, this, this show it, to be it that tied good. between this and Pen Fifteen. Biggest there, surprise. There of the are year. a lot of shows this year that I was like, "What is this?" Okay, and then they were great. And this this is one of them. And this is the reason it's above catastrophe is because of something I talk about a lot, which is uh, when a show will tweak in the right direction over the course of a season. Um, because it is the tale of two halves of a season. Like if I were to rate the first half of the season, it would not make, well, it would make my list, but just because I didn't watch it would be any- under the bachelorette, man, that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> Hannah B or Rami. Why? <laughs> Who's a better person? You, you don't know. Uh, a 24 produced, uh, looks and sounds Same as euphoria. Yeah. It has the, it has the feel of that. Like you, you know, you would you would call it an A twenty four type show, even if it weren't produced by them. They have a brand, yeah. It's branded content, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it improves so uh, drastically. And when I say drastically, I don't mean that it is a bad show and then it becomes a great show. I mean, uh, we put a microscope on to good shows because we want them to be better. And I wanted the first half of the season to be better. And I felt like it could have been. And that's why I stuck uh, through with it because you guys hadn't seen it yet. So I was really just like, I had heard him on a podcast and he was very uh, personable and interesting. And I was like, I feel like there's something here. Uh, and by the end of the season, you it's it is a great show. I think that it's like episode four is the big one. That's where the show just takes a turn. And that's like, the flashback. The eighth I, it's, grade. It might be four or five. It's somewhere in the middle of the season. But at that point, it's it's almost like the first season of Succession, where you get to that point and you're like, oh yeah, I'm all in now on this. It's sort of it's like um, a lot of shows take so many years to realize what this show realized off top, which uh, like, which is that uh, the titular character is not the most interesting character in the show. Um, They figure that out so early on in the show's run uh, that I have a lot of faith moving forward that they will just continually improve Uh, because that is a hard lesson to learn, especially when you are the creator EP uh, head writer of your own show to realize that you need to give up the spotlight for the better of uh, men of the show. And just hear that Pete Holmes. (laughs) Sorry, your show's over. Continue. And just to, uh, because Rami's story alone is new for like the American media landscape. He is a, a Muslim comedian, uh, trying like to, actual practicing yeah muslim. like a genuine muslim american trying to balance uh a very strictly muslim family life with a comedian's well he's not a comedian in the show but it's the atmosphere of who he hangs out with is comedian-esque he's hanging out with people who are the opposite of religious um and that is a really really interesting and unique story but rami 
uh, not the strongest actor on the show because he's not an actor. He's a comedian. He does a solid job. He definitely does. He does a really good job. But there are some really, really like incredible performances in his mother, uh, who's also Hi, found yeah. also on Succession. Uh, she has one of the best episodes of the season. Yeah, inc- like really, like one of the most heartbreaking episodes of TV I've ever seen. Like it's just like tragic. Yeah. Um, and uh, we get his real life friend, uh, Steve. Uh, you have it pulled up, Hunter. No, I don't. Damn it! Oh, Steve Way. Yeah, who uh, actually is I like suffering very deeply from I think ALS. I want to say, uh, and is <laughs> like not uh, who, who will eventually die of this disease and is willing because of, uh, Rami's, you know, persuasion. He is willing to uh, talk about that, like open a discourse about that on the TV show. Yeah. Like, well, to, just to be on he the has show, a mu- muscular dystrophy, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, just to be on the show in the first place is already a huge effort yeah, well for this him. steve way w- was not going to be a comedian until rami f- like forced him to right. he was because he was like yeah i want to but like look at me and rami was like no you're you're gonna go on stage you're gonna open for me like he he is uh this is his actual childhood best friend like this is a real story a real partnership uh and that's that's a beautiful storyline uh when rami goes to israel Egypt, Egypt, yeah, very Jesus different. Christ. Oh my God! When he goes to Palestine, <laughs> the racism on this podcast. <laughs> Israel's where all the Muslims are, right? <laughs> very famously. <clears throat> um, Jesus Christ! <laughs> he goes to Cairo. <laughs> when he goes to Egypt, uh, it's a similar effect to what happened with the Big Sick, where he is not trying to. Uh, lionize his own religion he is more than willing to point out the faults of uh, the religion and like everyone that he knows and the, the hypocrisy in yeah, it all yeah the, all of the the faults like his uncle's character is just a bad man yeah no well i mean there's there's one great scene wherever he's in uh cairo and they're like talking they're all like big maga guys and they're like what are you talking about like he You're hates banned. you he wants to ban you from the country he's like yeah i'd ban me too yeah it's all and then the wrinkle of him like wanting to see the site of like some massacre yeah to feel closer yeah, to his and home People are like, like Why are everybody who's there is just that? like, yo, we yeah. lived that. I mean, this isn't another, like a fun show. Like, to, don't like, talk to about. Well, that. We're an, trying to party. another another very mature strength of the show is Rami is willing to look like an asshole, mm-hmm. uh, like he does with his sister's episode as well. He looks like a total fucking dick. Yeah. Um. But what I, what I was saying is the effect that, that has the effect that he's he's not trying to show like a squeaky queen, uh, clean image of of Islam or of like the people he, that he lives with and grew up around. It's humanizing it's the same with big sick these are just people like you don't need to think of them as perfect they're just human beings um and it's it's really admirable there's so many like immensely mature uh almost like experienced choices made by him and i'm sure he has experienced team members that are like helping guy the way but I have a lot of faith in this guy moving forward because season two should be coming out yeah it comes out in may the last few episodes of season one uh I mean, it's that is top five, especially TV. when it, the way that the show ends on this first season is oh, like yeah. one of the most like ball drop <laughs> no, endings no that spoilers. you're like, oh, fuck. You're like, like what? <laughs> yeah, well, it's just kind of like, what is next? But you are right that it is like it's a very mature thing that he's doing his first season that he's willing to turn it on himself and make himself look like 
a hypocrite, make himself look like a straight up bad guy. Like yeah. there's so many different layers to this that he is willing to shine the mirror back on himself early on. Yeah, it's it was impressive. a really, really uh admirable effort and it like season two, I don't. I have no doubt that it's going to be better than season one. I'm I just, yeah, I'm just 100 percent sure that this man has a, his a, shit a together. Yeah, yeah, he has his shit together. That was a huge surprise. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for what's to come. It's Rami. It's on Hulu right now, and it's Drew's number seven. My number seven is Mr. Robot on USA. Here we go. Another again. show that ended. The final season, season four. Holy shit! What a spectacular finale guys sam esmail just oh so good so fucking good i i don't even know where to start he just made a playground for himself and crafted something that was wholly unique and original it starts out in season one as being this like almost like fight club uh, esque take on hackers trying to bring down corporate America and just spins off into this really weird uh, borderline sci-fi take on uh, mental illness and, and, and paranoia and schizophrenia. And it, it's a thriller. It's, it's an, it's a drama. It's an action adventure tale. It's everything that Esmail wanted it to be. And this final season went all in on the characters. It it realized that the plot was getting very convoluted. And it just said, we don't need plot. We just need to zero in on this character, this main character of uh, Elliot. And we need to figure out why he's so fucking weird. And why he's like <laughs> a fucking sociopath. And really crack that open. It's because he's Rami Malek. Who is perfect in this role. Just pitch fucking perfect. Does he say his own lines or do they use other recording of other people talking to he there's a Rammy bot. It. There's a Rammy AI that they built. Is and it Rammy from the show Rammy? Uh yeah. No, oh shit. Same wow, guy. connections here. The I and the Y are one and the same. Um, but yeah, guys, I this this show is phenomenal. It, it's all over now, and Sam, uh, Sam Esmail went like almost full Lynchian in the finale, like just like Lynchian Kubrickian shit going on in the season finale, um, series finale, where you're put in a place where it upends everything that you thought you knew about this story. Uh, and a couple episodes before that, I, I think episode seven of this season is structured like a play in different acts and it's shot all in one location and it's just, it goes all in on this character and it really breaks open what's going on in his psyche, in his head. Um, and goddamn, Rami Malik. We make fun of him. It's it's fun to to riff on this guy for the Bohemian Rhapsody of it all and everything, but he gives a fucking fantastic performance in this show. He's so good. Uh, everyone in the show is great, but he he is the core of it. And I am just so glad that I stuck around for this show because for a while there it was like. It was like, what? Where's this going? Like, mm -hmm. what's happening here? Because that first season was so uh, explosive with with how it kind of like, uh, 
you know, approached yeah. everything stylistically. It was very high concept, though, and sometimes the concept kind of eats the show. Yeah, and then the second season, everyone jumped off board because it seemed like it was trying to replicate the success of that first season and not meeting it. Mm. Uh, but they retooled it. And I don't, I don't think the show was ever bad, but it was a little bit like getting a little bit too complex mm. for its own good. Mm -hmm. And in this final season, like I just said, like they kind of just decided to just not focus on the plot. Yeah, go simple. At all. I, and, I admire that. And just had these really experimental episodes. There was one episode that had no dialogue. It was like a silent episode. Um, and it just really worked for me. It really yeah. fucking worked I for me. I think that that idea is something that we've seen before and we're going to see more often when a creator agrees to end their show and like without it being canceled, they kind of get carte blanche on the final season. Well, apparently Esmeo pitched this as a movie originally and he couldn't get it made. And from what I hear, the final episode of Mr. Robot is that movie that he was pitching. And I don't know how much truth there is to that, but that is so fascinating to me to do a whole show, four seasons, and still end up end it with the in movie. the place mm -hmm. where you, it all started. Because that final uh, episode is a, is a double episode. It's a two-parter. So it's a two-hour episode. It's a movie. And again, it's very Lynchian. It, it, it gives me that same feeling that that Twin Peaks, the return finale had of it being like, what's going on? Where are we? When are we? Does this tie at all to anything that I've experienced before <laughs> mm. in the story? So clearly, Esmail is a fan of, of Lynch and is, is incorporating that into his own work. But he's also trying to, uh, you know tied to the roots of what this made the show great which was surprising you and giving you twists and turns and and making you reconsider everything that you know and that you've seen and at the core this is a show about the world that we live in this illusion of control that we have that we feel like we are the own uh the drivers of our own uh cars in our life and that nothing can change the way we're going but this show challenges that idea of fate and destiny and free will. Um, and it's so fascinating. It's so well done. I adore it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. And it's, it's really just uh, a piece of the general uh, ethos of the USA network. Yeah. Suits, you know, uh, uh, I put on I put on USA Network. It's a lot like Scrubs. Uh, was Scrubs on USA? No, no, absolutely not. That was on like that's well that Comedy, Comedy Central. So, no, that was a network. SBL's show upcoming show Briar Patch is on USA, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Hey, characters, welcome. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cheers to that, baby. <laughs> yeah. Burn notice. I think they changed that. What the fuck? Yeah. What? Characters are no longer welcome. Yeah, characters are now not just, allowed anymore. They're, they're kind of funny. <laughs> I think it's they like changed PBS, that because their characters true. allowed, but not welcome. <laughs> they they uh they had to uh pivot away from that branding. Uh I can't find the new branding, but it's I think it's something else. U anyway, USA. Uh there it, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> It's Mr. Robot. Uh, it is now on give USA. Now, give us homecoming season two. 
It is happening. Uh, no Julia Roberts, though. Yeah, that's a bummer. Man, yeah. I, th- I think that this, uh, for the listeners, I think this app is about to reach what we call the, the golden peak of We Bought a Mic, where we all just keep having to go round robin. Because I'm, yeah. well, I'm looking at the time, and it's... Uh, it's been so long, but I think it's because the top half. Oh yeah, of our we list. haven't yeah. we haven't had any overlap. Yeah, yeah no far. overlap. Yeah, this might be the first one. Your number seven. My number seven is Mindhunter. Mm. No, not not on my list. Not on your list. Okay, wow. I thought that that would show up on your list. Um, this show is it's it's an amazing show. Like Lee, Lee is mad again in earnest <laughs> <laughs> that Mindhunter didn't make the list. She's just um, ex- ex- uh, a little um, yeah excited. Whoa! <laughs> just watching Jonathan Groff, and it was just him as he Olaf. Is, yeah, he's um, yeah. Uh, we really like st- like she. You really fill in the details of what's going on here. Yeah, when we're I, not here. No, I mean he's either crying or he's watching something that is I'm um, shockingly um, appropriate, and mm. I always expect him to be doing something like masturbating to some hardcore porn. But no, you he, almost wish that he was. I almost wish that he was because I mean he was masturbating to my hunter, and that's really sick. But mm. I love you. Yeah, so David Fincher is a hunk. Um, <laughs> He's daddy. No, I I think that this uh, this season is just about on par with the first season. I don't think it has the highs of the first season, but I think it's more consistent front to back. Well, it, it focuses on um, the, the other guy more, which is great. Yeah, no, I love, um, I was going to say, Jonathan Groff, of course, is amazing, but Holt, Holt McCallany, McCallany, I don't know, um, and Anna Torv, uh, which... It's kind of a bummer now because the news has come out that that cast might not be back. Season three is apparently happening. They got relieved of all their contracts. They might not be on, which is a real bummer, especially where Anna Torv... I really liked how we were going to start getting more into her backstory like we did with uh, Bill Tench. But now it's kind of up in the air. It's like, uh, it's not the best note to leave on with that. Um, But as far as just this season goes... um, that was a really it really effective season going into the Atlanta murders and kind of taking them outside of just this one small town, this one almost New England vibe uh, feel that this had. Or I mean, I guess it's outside of Baltimore uh, where the academy is, but it gave the show a little bit of a different light. Uh, of course, they go more into the. Uh, Oh, this rise of serial killers that we began seeing all around the country at this time period. Manson. Yeah, with the Manson. And some of it uh, is more effective than others. Um, but I do think that this was a more even season. Um, even Just seasons. because it Good has. <laughs> I think that uh, I, this is a show that the tonality is such an important part of it. And I understand why the first season is slow in the beginning is because they have to establish that this is a slow-paced show and that we spend the majority of episodes sometimes just doing interviews yeah. with different characters. Um, and so because of that, it's not like most things that are on television. But I can't imagine anybody else except for Fincher making this show. Um, I really, really enjoyed this season. I think that there's some impeccably beautiful episodes. I mean, there's one... Um, one episode this season where uh, it's Jonathan Groff running through the streets of Atlanta carrying a cross, which is one of the most beautiful images and in like television this to year. Film yeah, it, it switches over to film, and you can see like the gradiness of it yeah. that it felt like timeless in this way. And I mean, there is kind of 
a feeling of helplessness in this season that I really uh, appreciated because I think that that's more realistic to it all than like we have somebody and like they solve what's the key behind serial killers. Like they're crimes that happen in this season that just don't get solved. Yeah. Which is how a lot of cases go. That's how 90% of all uh, crimes go is that and you they have just the politicians, the mayors trying yeah. to, it gets into the, the, the semantics of it all. And I, really like that like things get bogged down there's a new guy who comes in to take over the cia unit um and that guy it's he's such like a fucking washington guy like he's such a suit that you can tell that he's so detached from everything else and i i just i like this it had a level of politics to it that i really appreciated this season i also going back to your point about the interviews like this show is violent without being graphic you know, it's violent just with its descriptions of violence. Like, you never really see any gore or yeah. blood or anything. You, It's just visceral in the way things are described to you in these interviews and these conversations. And that's the thing that gets under your skin. I, I will also say uh, Cameron Britton, who plays uh, Ed Kemper is just one of my favorite dudes on yeah. television. Every time he comes so on there, scary. like, it's... <laughs> terrifying but like it it almost he has this like because he's this like big chubby dude so like he has like almost this teddy bear quality to him but like he plays subdued evil and such where like he is the smartest person on the show not any of the cops or anything else like that like ed kemper did not get caught he turned himself into the police because he's like otherwise you have never caught me i'm too smart like you have never actually caught me doing these things and he is just i love that he came back he doesn't have as big of a role this season as he did in season one but um oh yeah and another thing i wanted to say was um that they and one another reason why i'm kind of bummed that this cast might not be coming back is because they started to kind of get into the ptsd that these people who are doing this investigation are experiencing whenever you are just your job is just interviewing and talking to mass murderers serial killers that has a real impact on you and they get into that a little bit with uh with bill with bill tench but with holden i mean something traumatic happens to him at the end of season one and kind of seeing like this, uh, how it affects his psyche and like his personality. And like, you can tell that he seems like he is going to have a breakdown at any moment. And that's a tension that runs throughout the entire season. Speaking of repercussions, Bill's son. Yeah. That whole plot line of the adopted son is insane because it starts to get into themes of like nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. and like how was this kid born fucking weird or did he see something in his infancy that made him like this or is him being exposed to tench's job and the the imagery and the the life that is making him this way it's it's so interesting so nuanced i'm really glad that the story shifted in in that character's direction Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mindhunter season two on Netflix right now. Really, really recommend it. It's Hunters number seven. So now we're at number six, Drew. Pen 15. Nice. Gotta, gotta talk about it. Great show. Really, like, this was so out of left field 
like maybe the most out of left field show I've ever seen. This is another one on my list because to watch. yeah, in particular because the uh, the talent behind it, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle were both uh, primarily known as actresses who uh, mainly TV were usually you know they were popping up in pretty good stuff. Maya Erskine in particular, I knew very well from Man Seeking Woman, which this can be a backdoor way uh, to say Man Seeking Woman is one of the most underrated shows of last decade. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, incredible show. She's really great on it. Uh, and Anna Conkle sim- had a similar, uh, you know, uh, pedigree, I guess you'd say. Like, she had popped up on uh, good things before, but never in a significant, like, creative contribution way. Uh, and they put together this uh, true genuine passion project uh, that is one of the most unique shows I've ever seen in my life and one of the most unique comedies I've ever seen in my life. Um, It's deeply funny, uh, really uncomfortable, uh, just bizarre. Um, But more than anything, the choices made are firm and like, like jarring, but they always work. And that's really, really respectable. Like they absolutely nailed every hard choice they made the biggest of course being the concept of two 30 year old women playing um, themselves in middle school yeah and that's and an all the other movie. actors are actual like teenagers yeah like that, they, that it's just it's an amazing like uh just visual gag in itself in a way though they capture like this cringe comedy aspect to it where it's almost like if eighth grade were a comedy yeah, and I almost hate to call it cringe comedy, even though that's what it is. Like, it's meant to be cringeworthy and uncomfortable, uh, but it's played so genuinely, just like eighth grade, where, like, you would think there would be no way to ground a show in which two 30 year olds are playing 12 year olds. You would think that once you see that, there's no way that a show could have heart. But it has immense heart. It has depth. It addresses like actual issues that like Maya encountered in middle school, uh, being an Asian American uh, girl. Like it's, it, it has so much more to it than you would assume from the pilot and from like just the base premise of it. Um, I, I I really couldn't believe how much I enjoyed watching this. Did you watch the whole season, Ernie? No, <laughs> only watched the first episode. I just wanted to hear you chewing uh, a chip with guacamole. Um, it, it just it gets better and better, but really it started uh, even stronger than Rami. That's why I ended up having it higher because it started out the gate fully realized. Like the the show knew what it was from the jump. It's beautifully shot. Um, there are a lot of like deeply funny moments that are also like extremely. They're shot with such seriousness that you almost have to be taken aback. Uh, there's like an, a near religious moment when uh, Maya Erskine's character is like kind of like discovering masturbation. <laughs> and it like it's it's genuinely like uh, it could be in like a surrealist like horror movie almost um, if it weren't so funny. Uh, the thing I'm most curious about is like how do they toe the line between like playing a middle schooler and being like a 30 year old you just have to watch they are so deeply uh, and partially it's because obviously they are you know these are two uh, girls who are obsessed with their friendship at that age and the time that they had at that age uh, I have a similar thing like I think it's not talked about enough and it's because it, it's what I was about to say about how I don't like the moniker of cringe comedy because if 
if you find something like this unwatchable because it's so uncomfortable, think of all of the years of memories that you're repressing subconsciously because you just can't stand to think right. about before you knew how to have a, a normal conversation. Like you got to think about so that. This stuff. show just kind of like presents you with it in a really comical yeah, way. It really gen- like they are playing like so realistically middle school that you, they eventually the fact that they are old. Well, that was the is, thing about, is no longer the centerpiece of the show at all. That was the thing about that first episode. It, even in that first episode that I watched very quickly, I got sucked into it and I forgot that they were yeah, adults because they are playing it with such uh you know, you would call it like sense memory. This is like method acting because they are simply exactly what they were when they were in middle school. Of course it's heightened for comedic effect in many ways, but a lot of this is just straight from the book, like really, really specific types of people that you encounter, not just them, the other actors that they cast all do a great job, these kids. Uh, and that largely is because the vision of the show directs them in a way uh, that they get to act naturalistically much like eighth grade. Um, it's it's just beautiful, man. It's, it's I, I wish we had more big swings like this in comedy particularly because comedy already is seen inherently as a swing i think to any uh you know show developer and so to take risks on this level is not typical uh even with the landscape as it is and it's become a lot more you know it's become a lot uh, easier to get away with stuff like this like uh ins- well especially on streaming yeah and that's what it's for i mean hulu my uh, Rami is on Hulu too. Yeah. Uh, and these are two like in their very different ways. They're both groundbreaking shows. They're both shows that are mining comedy from places that we have literally never seen in the history of comedy. That is uh, infinitely impressive to me. Like to, to break ground in a genre that is seen as pretty limited in what it's able yeah. to accomplish. And also for it not to feel like a missed opportunity. You know, yeah, yeah, for it yeah. to feel like it's fully realized and like they banked on that yeah. on that opportunity. Yeah, right off the bat, it's ready to go. The every music choice is beautiful. Uh, it, it looks incredible. It's it's gorgeously edited and shot. Like there's just there's not much I could possibly change about a show like this. And I'm so so excited that it's renewed. Um, oh yeah, it's coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got it got hype from the right people, but also a lot of people just simply couldn't watch it. And that's fair. But I would ask you to re-examine. Uh, why you cannot watch things that are uncomfortable and what that says about uh, like the (laughs) just the how many years of my life would I uh, refuse to remember if I wasn't able to process uncomfortable moments you know like I was really cringy for my whole fucking life I still am I would not remember this night if I couldn't (laughs) well we're recording it so yeah I mean uh, it's just I don't know it's one of the biggest qualms I have with uh, the media culture at large versus my own tastes. I think this is material that is so beyond the label of cringe comedy. I think this verges on like deeply profound, like often over the course of this season. And on top of that, it is at its core, just extremely funny throughout. It's, it doesn't get nearly as serious as, as Rami does. Where just entire episodes are laughless. Every episode is packed with laughs. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I mean, this is definitely, I don't know personally for me, if this show, it doesn't have like the dramatic highs that something that like Rami does, but I think it's a much more consistent show yeah, throughout the entire season. It's Pen15. It's on Hulu. It's Drew's number six. My number six is The Deuce on HBO, another show that ended in 2019. 
Rip. And what a fucking great show, guys. Well, so this is another one of those shows. It's like uh, I said about Wolf of Wall Street in the Decade Movies episode. I feel like if this came out in like the early 2000s, this would be like the show of a generation. Oh, like, yeah. It would define I mean, but it was, television. But that was The Wire. Yeah. I mean, The Wire was that. And yeah. now this is the same team coming back. I mean, they did Treme. Um, but now coming back with this story about time really is what this story is about each season is set uh almost a decade between uh each one and it is a story about the passage of time and how it is coming for all of us it's a story about getting old you know you see the wear of each passing year on these characters and it's such a rich layered story about the 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 rise of pornography and the sex industry and how Times Square was this bastion for that in the 70s and the 80s way before it became a monument to advertisement and and a hub for for Broadway um and the hub for porn yeah <laughs> yeah and i just i just think that this is just kind of a flawless show it is just so well done uh everything about it is impeccable from the direction to the writing to the acting even the sound design when you're in these bars and these nightclubs with these characters and you listen and you pay attention to the background noise you feel like you're there every detail is accounted for every clink of glass every footstep every car every siren every song playing on the speaker like it's all perfectly realized and you know going back to the performances you have james franco in a dual role who is fantastic you have maggie gyllenhaal who kind of carries the whole thing and is this uh core thematic core for this story where in season one she is this prostitute who is working on her own with no pimp with no support and by the end of the series she is a full-fledged art porn a tour she's a pornographer but she is doing it for the artistry of it she is a a a, a a feminist erotica director. That's why I watch it. And I just think that that is incredible to to have a character like that on TV and to have an actress as talented as Jalen Hall in that role. And really, the, the whole story, you kind of, because the cast and the ensemble is so expansive, you kind of tackle it from every possible angle. The cops, the mob, the pimps, the whores, the 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 directors, <laughs> the everyone, every possible angle that you could find for this story, it accounts for it. And the biggest thing, the reason why this season in particular resonated for me the most is because in season one, you have a story about the pimps having the power, a story about how in this era the 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 only way people could get sex the filthy motherfuckers that wanted to get off they had to go to times square pay for a room pay for a whore and do the dirty and then in season two it starts to change 
and you start to get other ways of getting off and you start to get the theaters showing porn films and the little like the peepholes and shit like that and it starts to become a little bit separated and it's a story about the pimps losing the power and then season three is so poignant because it's about how the pimps are just everywhere everyone's a pimp all society is all pimp you're either the pimp or you're being pimped and it's everywhere and you know this was decades before the internet but this is what led up into it where in season three you have uh the dawn of vhs and how anybody could buy a fucking tape recorder and make their own porn at home and that's what people wanted to see and the porn stars that they were seeing in these uh x-rated theaters they had their time they had their 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 star rise but they were irrelevant now mm. because people could just go to the the VHS store and go to the the back room and get the shit that they wanted there and distribute it themselves mm. and that is what ended up being so resonant about this season of the deuce is how it set up what we see today in the industry and how sex is intertwined in all commerce, in all capitalism, and everything about America, it's all there. Uh, and it's also in the 80s. So it touches on the AIDS crisis as well that hit New York. And it very poignantly uh, looks at that crisis through some of these characters that we've been following this whole way. Uh, so I found it perfect. I found it beautiful. I found it impeccable. Just very, very expertly crafted. Uh, it's The Deuce on HBO. The Deuce. Always wanted to watch that show. It's always yeah. been the top of the list. Really recommend it, guys. A, it's a great show. I, wish I should follow through with it's it. It's number six on my list, which brings us to Hunter's, Hunter's number, number six. six. So I said it last time that we would have to wait. This one, we're definitely have to wait on. My number six is Watchmen. I think, uh, let me check. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's on my list. We you, finally you just did. checked this a is list th- that you've carved into your arm. <laughs> this is incredible. And it only says Watchmen. <laughs> it's just Watchmen. Um, well, this, yeah, this is the point where... I will say that this is... I said before, 7 through 15, I could flip. My top 6 is set in stone. They could shuffle around a little bit depending on the day, well, but yeah, my from, top from 6 is... From this point forward, it's like in. all perfect. So by, yeah, by my count, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. I think there are only 6 shows left for all of us that we're going to mention. For the remainder of this, um, possibly. I, I know that there's I one the, show that you have not yeah, watched, Drew. Yeah, yeah it's true. That, yeah, and I'm at my number five. Oh, okay. So, th- I think that I'm right that there's six left. Okay. So, what's um, your number five? My number five is Barry. Uh, gonna wait, wait a little bit. Just a second. Okay. What's your number five? Succession. We're gonna wait. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, this is magic. God damn, my number five we're gonna have Man. to wait on. It's 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 just this is like being in the room actually, for you like know what? the Dana Carvey show. You know what I'm you know? looking at and I'm I'm doing I'm doing a live a live flip <laughs> on it. I'm gonna put Barry at number at number five. Okay. So we can uh do you oh no, wait, no, no you haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Never you, mind. you tried. Okay. I was trying to help <laughs> you tried discussion. To make this <laughs> All right, Drew, you're your number four. My number four is Watchmen. Gonna have to wait. <laughs> What's your number four? Barry. Okay. All right. My number Barry, four is Barry. Cool. We can talk Barry. Season two. This is the show that I'm most excited for this year. I am so 
curious to see where this story goes. It really it put itself into a corner that it's going to be wild to watch it like wriggle for a yeah. season. It's going to be amazing. Every piece on this chessboard is like so perfectly placed for everything to go wrong and everything yeah. to blow up gloriously. And somehow it doesn't. Somehow the 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 chips fall in a way that things it doesn't feel like a cop out. It doesn't feel like an ex machina or anything no. like that. Uh, Deus Ex Machina. It feels like just damn good TV, damn good writing. No, a lot about this show shouldn't work. Like uh, probably the entire show shouldn't work. The whole conceit of tone shouldn't work in this show. Yeah. Uh, and season and actor Hitman. Yeah. And no way. season one was a lot like season one of Rami where you could feel it finding its footing over the first few episodes. And by the back half of season one through season two, we have gotten some of the best TV I've seen. Uh, period. Like just really, really high level. Uh, like deeply like almost postmodern like high concept comedy depressing uh, action heavy like so such a mishmash of things that usually do not work together well unless we're talking about someone like Tarantino making it what's curious that this is the show that has been it, it's so fucking weird to see this show being nominated for comedy awards obviously it's very funny but when i watch this show it's for the drama. It's yeah. for the thrills. It's for the well, intrigue. I mean, in that way, it's similar to Succession, how you can watch it on two faces. Right. You can watch it for the comedy, for the Kieran Culkin jokes and quips, or you can watch it for the dramatic it's tension layered. that it has. And I think that this show, I mean, especially season two, there's, I feel like, especially towards the back half of season two, it kind of abandons the comedy almost altogether. I mean, there's still some funny moments in there. Um, Specifically with uh, um, What's his name Anthony Kerrigan um, Yeah of course Noho yeah. Hank yeah, yeah Noho Hank is I mean He, he kind of becomes The comedy Guy The comic relief Of this season um, In a really fun way But I do think that I mean Especially Sarah Goldberg Really gets that a chance monologue, To sign this man. season And I, oh. she is just Incredible Incredible. She is so good. And I think that Bill Hader's getting more comfortable in front of a camera, too. I kind of uh, want to say that he gives the best male performance of the year. Yeah. Like, holy shit, he is fantastic in this show. It's between him or Jeremy Strong for me. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It, you can't understate, though, the uh, the blossoming of Sarah Goldberg's role in yep. the show. Uh, and a large part of it is because from the jump, um, uh, Bill and Alec Berg made a point to include writers, including Emily Heller, who's an incredibly funny stand-up comic. Um, her sister, Muriel, is the one who made the Mr. Rogers movie this year. Uh, but Emily Heller is so, so funny and also... Uh, was adamant on like little character details that guys would just write wrong. Like, do you guys remember the anecdote about this? Uh, it was in season one when he, when Bill gives Sarah Goldberg a new laptop and she's like, this is weird. Oh yeah. It, initially they were just going to write it and she'd be like, thank you. But no, Emily was like, no, that's creepy to give like a girl you barely know a new laptop. That's a creep move. Also like a, it, it was like a Mac, like a thousand, yeah. $2,000. Exactly. And season two, you can really feel that there are actual women writing women in mm -hmm. the show. And there, you can't put enough emphasis on how, 
much uh, dimension that adds to it because this has become an ensemble show. Uh, I did not think it would be when I heard Bill Hader was starring in a well, show. Well, especially Bill Hader and Henry Winkler, and you're like, okay, so, so that's just going to be yeah, the two and of then them. you this, get Anthony Kerrigan out of yeah. no fucking nowhere. This like, show uh, sometimes reminds me of Better Call Saul, how it's like two shows in one. How you yes, have like yeah. the in Better Call Saul, you have like the the legal. Uh, drama, the procedural legal drama, and then you have like the crime uh, cartel, you know, thriller. Yes. And in this show, in Barry, it's kind of like that. You have like the assassin show, the the hitman show, and then you have the actor show. But they're so much more closely knit together than in Better Call Saul. Yeah. And the way they explore each of those feels so damn good like there's some some episodes where i feel like they are getting hollywood better than any show on tv the, the better ex- than most movies like ex- actually showing the real hollywood exactly the experience of what it must be like to be in these meetings with producers and trying to make a name for yourself as, yeah. a, as a struggling artist as an actor especially as a woman trying to yeah. yeah trying to get roles that have any layer to them uh well the meeting element alone is is a revelation because that is most of what being in hollywood is is going yeah. to meeting there's that moment where <laughs> like 75 percent of it barry is just sitting in the fucking waiting room and some producer walks up to him he's like you're tall yeah he's like you want to roll <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's such a great it is played for laughs, but like there is this tragicness to it. I mean, of course, Bill Hader, like I, they really step up the direction this season too to a whole new place. I mean, Ronnie Lilly is the standout director. Yeah, he episode, directed that, right? But yeah, yeah. He directed that Oof. one. But I mean, throughout the whole season, there's a couple of moments in the back half of season one, but overall, just the way the action choreography of this show is like a very underrated part of it. Like that's not what you immediately it's come to, but it is it's intense. it has a realism to it that feels uh, it feels messy. It's like you said. I mean, and also it dives more. The season dives more into Bill Hader's PTSD that he experienced yeah, in the, the war. Darkness of it. The, yeah. yeah, the darkness of that being a killer is the only thing and he's ever been good Steven at. Steven Root is just on another level in this season. Like yeah, he is fantastic. He is so good as like somebody who's like the closest person to Barry, but is also a toxic figure in his life. Cause he's yeah. the one who's encouraging him to give up acting and just be, continue being a hitman. Mm-hmm. It's, and even if he's like the closest thing to like a best friend that Barry has. Yeah. It's a really, really interesting take on certain tropes that, uh, could be seen as tired, but this show is so far away from tired. Like it's the opposite of tired. So many, uh, it's propulsive. You feel like there's a plan. Yeah. It's like when you, it's like if you eat like a salad that has like the first time you had a salad that had like lettuce and then like balsamic but also strawberries and cheese in there and you're like what i don't know and then you take a bite and you're like well okay this is actually better than any salad i've ever had (laughs) that's what berry is like it is it's so many elements that are not intuitively uh good to put together but they just work they just work perfectly. This, I can't wait to see where this story goes. Yeah, I'm the, so excited. This was what was such the, what a was fucking the, uh, cliffhanger. The initial pitch that you mentioned that it was like Barry wants to be an actor and then blank. 
I remember you talking yes. about this. This is, yeah, we don't know the blank. This is something Bill said in his uh, 92nd Street Y uh, thing he did with John Mulaney. He said, yeah, the pitch of Barry was, yeah, he's he's trying to become an actor and he's also a hitman and then blank happens. I think that blank is he gets famous. Right. That's mm-hmm. I remember us talking yeah. about that a while So back. I'm thinking, well, but the problem is you... If there's a flash forward, I'll almost be mad because right where it leaves off is such a pivotal moment. No, I, I feel like if he gets famous, that's not season three. That's like, that season, would be like four. season four. Maybe see. I don't know. Have they said how many seasons they want? To I take? could see. This I, going I think it'll be four. four. I think it'll be four, maybe five. Yeah. But. If I were to place a bet, I think it at least he would he would have gaining success in season three. I would imagine it'd be something like season two. Well, the seeds are planted because he has that yeah, audition. He has, a, he has a role in a feature film. Yeah. Like, that's already something. But what I think is going to happen is it's going to open with a flash forward. Not a flash forward, but just like time will be forward, like permanently. And he is more successful, not like a household name or anything. Yeah. And then uh, plot moves forward. But also, I think within that pilot, we would get a flashback to find out what happened because like what the hell could happen you know like oh. i have to know every moment of what happened is it is does it is there a premiere date for season three it's got to be like this i summer. don't think that uh one has been announced yet. i mean the last couple seasons have come out in spring like late march april-ish mm-hmm. um so this i know is, it came out whenever game of thrones like game of thrones yeah. time so this is unanimously uh one of the most anticipated shows for us oh yeah it's definitely. yeah it's both me and hunters five you're four Ernest. yes so what's hunters four my number four which i don't know if we'll have to wait on or not it might be your number three but it's i think you should leave you know what you think you you think you know me just because you know my exact order of my list do I? I'm honestly impressed. You got do that. I? Right. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Can we talk about it? Yeah, it's, it didn't make my list. It did. I am shocked by that. So we didn't have it. So you have another curveball in your list, I guess. This um, show gets my just watch it award. Um, where everyone should just watch it. No, this I think, gets this is, this gets my just watch it four times award, and I'm giving this award to <laughs> Ernest because you need to wait, watch wait, it wait, again wait, and only again. Only four times. I mean, I've seen it more than four. I've times. probably watched. Uh, this is, I think, one of the funniest shows. I, there's six episodes long. I've watched these six episodes probably close to ten times now. Why like, would that's you, not exaggerating. Why would you scroll I, through Netflix when you can just put this on? I think that I really think that this is one of the funniest seasons of television that I've ever watched in my life. Well, I don't think that there's a single dud sketch here, which I think is why it's only six episodes. Well, it's not even... Yeah, that is one of the funniest seasons of TV I've ever seen. Because it is. It's easily one of the funniest seasons of TV I've ever seen. It's I have become something of like a connoisseur of sketch comedy. Like I I am I've still am in the process, but I'm digging into archives. I'm buying like DVDs on Amazon that you can't find anywhere. Uh I just watched through the state, the the you know the 90s David Wayne sketch show. I I've seen like most of Mr. Show. I've seen most of the like historical like uh, like uh I don't even know what you would call like the Keystone sketch shows. This is the best season of a sketch show I've ever seen in my life. Hell yeah. This is, Easily. This is, to me, personally, because this is an extremely subjective uh, genre and subgenre, but this is the best season of sketch ever. Like, there is no beating it. The only thing that could compete is if if I had been around to watch the early seasons of Chappelle show live because mm. they broke so much ground that you couldn't even like put a number on it. But this show is uh it could only exist like now. It could only be on Netflix. It could only 
uh, have been greenlit by a streaming platform because it is just too fucking weird, man. Uh, and like David Wayne and the whole crew got away with a lot with like the state and like Bob and Dave got away with so much on HBO be- with uh, Mr. Show. Uh, this show gets away with absolute like absurdism to the highest degree and not just absurdism, like unpalatable absurdism, like like sketches that you don't want to watch if you're a certain type of person, <laughs> not sketches that aren't for anyone, sketches that are actively not for people. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a fucking miracle, man. I've like, I sketch comedy has been one of my biggest, uh, passions since I was like, I don't know, like 11. And I saw like SNL and Chappelle show and all that. This is so high quality. I, I don't really even know what to say about it. It is so, so good. No, I mean, I'm like just looking at a list of all of the sketches that are in this thing. And there's not a single, like all of them are funny. Some are funnier than others or have all but I mean it's like it is comedy for comedians yeah. in a way that like it might turn some people off at least at first because it doesn't just go for the easy you've talked about it before about going from A to B comedy versus A to C comedy versus A to D comedy and that's yeah. what this is where like It'll be like a fake ad for like a laser spine specialist, which is a bit that would just, it would just be an SNL bit in itself. Like just that premise is just like, all right, we have this and we have a funny punchline to it. And then they take this to a whole nother level where they're like, it's him gaining up the strength from this surgery to go in and talk to the producer of his, that he met in a mall that's going to make him a music star. Like it's these layers to the sketches. There's another one where there's a fake lawyer that comes into the house and then plumbers come by and then that's the first sketch of the whole show yeah that aside from the happened to you yeah (laughs) Yeah. i i mean there's some that are more straightforward like the chunky episode uh, or the chunky sketch which has andy samberg in it Mm -hmm. which is just like the ultimate game show gone wrong which i also personally appreciate because i used to watch a lot of terrible game shows like whammy the baby of the year (laughs) sketch baby of the year is no baby of the year is the best sketch of the entire show i named my fantasy football team (laughs) after it yeah this what the most impressive thing about this show is that like Chappelle show is the most important sketch show that's happened in my lifetime like by far and it also still holds the record for most like quotable moments that are like in the zeitgeist but this in one season achieves so many quotable moments it's it's almost mind-boggling because there are only six episodes and they're not long episodes and yet we have I would say like 15 to 20 sketches that I think of yeah. uh, at least weekly. I mean, this morning I was uh, out of my uh, shower trying to get dressed and I was just like walking around my bedroom. I was like, Friday night. I sing that song I'm a lot. That. I sing that song <laughs> yeah. to gr- my girlfriend every Friday. Um, another thing I, I also think about because I was like, like, in a, like, sh- like I was, when you're like tucking your in. I was in a meeting. I was in a meeting with somebody uh, with a coworker. Uh, sorry if you're listening to this podcast. I was in a meeting uh, with somebody that I know and uh, they said something uh, uh, and nothing even against them, uh, but they said something. They were just like, hey, so I have an idea and I kept just thinking you have no good ideas. 
it's every and that's i think why the show works supremely well is because it's so from the mind of one person even though it's not even though every episode is co-written by zach kanan who appears in like the uh the car focus group sketch yeah he's the guy that everyone hates (laughs) um he he stinky yeah (laughs) you want the car to smell bad (laughs) he so not that guy, but the guy that he that guy's making fun of. Yeah, he yeah, he yeah. co-wrote like every single episode along with John the, Solomon. The yeah, John Solomon is like the Which, the find of I mean, the year. RIP. I'm glad that you got this after Detroiters got canceled, which was another show they worked on, but it was I've heard that that show is really good, especially uh, one of my friends who's from Michigan said that that show like gets Detroit and Michigan right in a way. And that's such like a yeah, thing that a nobody way. else would ever yeah. actually get right. So one one thing I wanted to shout out is the, the gorilla toupee, the toupee sketch. sketch. Because when I watched that, I was like, this feels like something that should already be a classic sketch. Like yeah. this feels like something that they're ripping off of like an snl yeah it's like so it it seems obvious but no one ever did it (laughs) but (laughs) it's like god because it's almost it's basically that product is like a nathan for you idea yeah like it's a product that makes sense it's just the execution couldn't work (laughs) that's every nathan for you idea it's yeah i mean there's just so many amazing the things. Like so are I've been their money. I've been watching a little bit of uh <laughs> speaking of we were talking earlier about garbage TV and I have been watching a little bit of Riverdale. The River Mountain High sketch <laughs> is just incredible. That guy the, the boy setup for is it is fucking terrifying. Yeah. No, and that is it's <laughs> when literally the Riverdale. Closes and yeah. you just see his, his light face. eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the TC Tugger. It's, I mean, it's incredible. And then it just becomes iconic. an ad for yeah. TC Tuggers, it's not which is not a joke. Yeah, it's not you don't buy it. As a gag gift like the snuggie it's not the snuggie yeah ultimately tim robinson deserves uh outsized credit for this and i think it's uh it's a miracle of opportunity with tim robinson because uh a lot of people go through the system that makes you like good at writing sketches and then they go and they write good sketches a good example of that would be mikey day on snl mm-hmm. he writes all the sketches that he stars in they're all very by the book like good sketches but a lot of different people could write those because a lot of different people went to all these like second city UCB. Tim Robinson is a guy who was just naturally a, a strange man. <laughs> like he was a fucking weirdo off the bat. He wasn't like a pretty funny guy who then went through second city and learned how to do sketches. He was a guy who had too much power and had to learn how to harness it into uh, an economical format. The most economical format in uh, television like and that's why he didn't work so well on SNL because his sketches have his imprint all, all over them and if he's not the star of them then they really don't work yeah like he has to be all over these sketches I so mean the closest thing that's on SNL now is Kyle which I hope that Kyle doesn't get kicked off this season but he really might because it seems like he is even like his sketches it's the same thing where you're like oh yeah no this is a kyle yeah, he actually is getting a ton weird. of screen time this season weirdly like did he's really his, getting a uh, shitload of play did you see his uh oh man i'm all out of cash oh man i'm all out of cash <laughs> no 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 uh yeah that was a good bit um i i just think that this this is a special show i think that this is the perfect format for tim robinson going forward. it is renewed for a second I, season yeah yeah but we I, don't know also when it's if coming. i can do a uh twitter plug for a certain twitter if you are a basketball fan 
and yeah. a, uh, a fan of this show if you watch it and you like it. Uh, highly recommend uh, I Think You Should League Pass. It yeah. is a crossover <laughs> you, between you, NBA yeah. memes. You have to and follow this, this account. And uh, I Think You Should Leave memes. And it is yeah. one of the most genius things that... Yeah, it's, it's Because you would not think that like snapshots from this show would work and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but they it's do. Genius. It's it's someone finding great references. And the other thing about the show that's beautiful is every sketch because there's no show there could never be a show where every sketch is incredible. But every sketch has multiple lines that you clock in your head. Yeah. It has multiple lines that you're like, that is a weird way to say that. And like, it's, you, it's it is so rewatchable for that purpose because it's it's so dense of a show yeah, where you're like just wow, all these sketches a, that you just yeah. keep rewatching. Even it. if even if you don't like love where they went, you're like, wow, what a direction. <laughs> like what a direction they took there. <laughs> yeah, thinking about the one that you referenced, the Friday night one, the traffic thing, how yeah. it all starts from a bumper that honk if you're horny yeah, bumper. And then sticker. he like gives him <laughs> porn or something. And then he's like, listen, I gotta go sing a song at a funeral. <laughs> yeah. And then he just walks over to he the... He sings a song about Friday night. He's like, love you, mom. Uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with the it's funeral. It's incredible. It's it, so good. Well, And that's that's why it's great. And I if an, if I could recommend one more thing, it's the episode of Good One, the podcast. Uh, the oral history. It is. Yeah, it is a uh, live show, I think at Vulture Fest, where he had Tim Robinson and uh, Zach Kanan and... Uh, like one other mind behind the show on and he uh it's jesse david fox from vulture it's an incredible podcast where he really like he tries to dissect the minds of comedians and he couldn't do it with tim tim did not like being on this podcast oh wow and i actually like ahead of time i almost predicted that i was like yeah i don't think tim's gonna be into this because with tim it seems like the humor doesn't come from a place of like intellectual uh, like you know, like like tooling out like uh, a thought into a joke. It seems like he's a guy who just like thinks, "Hey, it would probably be funny if we did this." Like, and he just is right. And there are so few people like that in comedy. Like, so many people are so much more calculated that he didn't like trying to be psychoanalyzed because he was like, "I don't know. I literally don't know where it comes but it's, from." It's not I just, just have, the writing. I it's just, the execution. Yeah, mm. everything about it. So many choices come from like, only, there's no one who can make them but him, and he doesn't even know where they come from. Like, you can't. That's just, the beautiful thing about it. You can't it. just. You can't just think that a guy in a hot dog costume in a store with a hot dog cart <laughs> through the window is going to work. Like All you right, don't just whoever's car is this fess up. <laughs> you can't just think that that's automatically going to yeah, be well, genius. Because it has to be it has to work in the yeah. shoot and the edit. And also there's like a normal SNL sketch you can make out of that where a guy is just obviously he did it. But that's not what that sketch is. That sketch is him like listing off like porn websites. <laughs> He's going like you jizz. We're so into our phones. X tube. <laughs> like you could just stealing stuff yeah, around the store. There's, there's no process. There's no class that teaches that because it's so insane and that's why this is one of the best shows i've ever seen yeah it's it's number four on my list but it's number because one it's, in my heart <laughs> it is one of the most non-replicable shows of all time it is so unique and i i can't appreciate it enough please watch it if you haven't it's i think you should leave with tim robinson that is the full title full title guys mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh brings us it's drew's number three brings us to my number three which is fleabag Mm. Oh, 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 wait on that. It's my number 12. <laughs> Give um, it a quick sec. What's your number three? My number three is Chernobyl. Gonna have to wait on that one. My number two is Succession. 
I'm just, I got so excited because I know what your number one is. It, it fills me with so much joy. You have no idea. Hunter likes being right, and I hate I, it. I, yeah. yeah boy. He held us hostage. I did. This podcast is delayed because of me. I know. Okay, so my number two is Watchmen. Let's talk about it then. Uh, yeah. I what mean, was that on your list, Drew? It's my number four. Okay, it was my number five. Yeah. This show uh, is just one of the most outstanding things, astonishing things I've seen in a long time. I mean, we covered as many of the episodes as we could, so you can go back and, and listen to all those episodes. But overall, this was just really a gargantuan feat on the part of, of Lindelof and company. Um, I don't think it's it's like objectively perfect. I is I do think it's kind of flawed, but it is so ambitious. It is one of the most ambitious things I've seen ever. Ever, yeah. Ever. And it is unlike anything else on TV to to take this comic book and bring it into um, the current era and have it be about America's history with racism and white supremacy and also comment on itself and comment on the 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 superhero mythos that have taken over Hollywood and and be this new story um that you know ends up being this sequel to the book uh it's so many things at once it's not just one thing it's not just even two things it's it's not a retelling, it's not an adaptation, it's not a sequel, it's not a prequel. It's like everything all the time at once and it's just perfectly structured, perfectly executed, perfectly acted. Um I think the flaws come more from just being a TV show and just having natural limitations to what you can do in a TV show, but I think that you couldn't fit this into a movie. And that was what happened with Zack Snyder. Like that just didn't have any thematic weight to it. And obviously the, there are always going to be trade-offs where you go for something much bigger and grander and much more thematically resonant. You are going to lose a little bit of that spectacle that Zack Snyder had in his film, the big, just showy expensive visuals that he was able to craft um, there is that trade-off, but I would much, much rather have this than the, the Zack Snyder film, uh, 100% any day of the week. And it's just this really mind-bending story uh, set in this alternate reality, and it just harkens back to our world and our reality in so many interesting ways. And the themes of, of masks, the themes of nostalgia, all of these ideas that tie back to the original book and also to our relationship with superheroes and comic books in our uh, society right now, I think are so perfect, so amazing. And guys, Regina King, I don't think we talked about her enough when we were covering the the, the episodes every week. She gives one of the best performances of the year. Yep. Yeah, she's. it's almost because she's such a constant in the show when so many things are in flux every single episode that like it, it's almost it becomes a footnote that she's delivering such an amazing performance just because so many other things are happening. But well, like and she's making like Tim Blake Nelson is making a choice with his character. Jeremy Irons is making a choice with his character and like. 
Regina King is the constant that you have, like you're saying, that like we do kind of take her for granted, but she is incredible. And I feel like she also uh, has to become kind of the plot device of it all. So then we end up, whenever we talk about her, we more so talk about the story itself and less her performance. Um, I was going to say, talking about the show... Uh, I've been, I'm almost through, uh, getting, uh, doing the leftovers, the book. Nice. Um, I finished it. Okay. I'm at, I think I'm at like 85% or the way through or something like that. Um, but after, in, in case you're wondering if it's an audio book, he is laying it out in I'm terms at of percentage. I'm at 86% <laughs> the way through. Um, no, I read. Yeah, um, just looking at the pages. Uh, no, <laughs> I count them all. I leave a percentage. I'm like, all right, every three pages is 1%. Um, <laughs> no, I've uh, I've been going delving into the audiobook for uh, the leftovers, and after like seeing how he ran with the IP of the leftovers, and now running with the IP of Watchmen, I almost think that this is the best format for Damon Lindelof. That he is mm. probably like one of the best adapters, or yeah. less adapters, but like most visionary people for taking IP and running with it, much like Noah Hawley did with Fargo. But now that Damon has successfully done it with two vastly different IPs is incredible. Like he puts his own style on something that I can't imagine anybody else in the world making something that is half as effective of a show as this. And, and it seems like HBO let him go all the way with it. And the fact that they let him just be one and done nine episodes and that's it and he's not coming back and they're not bringing the show back that is a huge deal you know this show was big it was critically yeah uh adored and they're not bringing yeah. it back and yeah. the thing about the the discourse surrounding that is it is true uh i would hate it if they brought it back without him but I also hate that they're not bringing him back because he's not there. I wish it's, he was doing a second season. Shout out to season. HBO, though. I'm so happy. I like, no, every other, like, even FX, as much as I love FX or Netflix or anything like that, they would have gone for the easy money. Because this was a hit on HBO. They would have gone for the easy money and then just brought it back and it would have just been a lesser version of the same story. Oh, of course. Exactly. And I'm so happy that they were like you know if Lindelof is out then we're out yeah we're just gonna leave it where it yeah I I, I'm just saying I'm still am upset because they like the finale of this was actively setting up for a second it's a cliffhanger yeah it was not like a finale it was setting up a lot it was establishing characters that lived for the purpose of another season uh so I was upset when I found out it wasn't coming back of course uh, but this is a really good standalone season, regardless. Like this is a great well, season of TV. To that point, that is Damon hearkening back to the original comic. I mean, that original comic does end with uh, Doctor Manhattan saying that he is going to go off and create life. So it does sort of set up another story that we don't actually see until this iteration that that original comic never intended to be realized. So it is sort of, you know, referencing that idea of the world continuing it, past the end. of It the, isn't of the like, book. I mean, I even like I had some qualms with the season finale just because I thought that it did tie up a lot of loose ends where maybe I wanted some more things to be open. But that being said, now knowing that this is probably the only Watchmen that we will ever get. I, I just, I said that I expressed those uh, issues with the season finale, assuming that we would get a season mm-hmm. two. Um, 
now seeing it as just one piece uh, that can just kind of live in amber, I do really like this season. I, I it, there's some clear up and downs in this season, but overall, like I think that Damon did as good of a job as possible. At, it's everything that he this. wanted to say. Yeah, you know, and of course, you could say more. And you could always say more about such a rich text that really uh, breaks up everything that we know about heroism and 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 vigilante stories and superheroes and all this stuff and and how they would exist in the real world. Um, but you got to have an ending. You can't let things run forever. And that was the biggest lesson that he learned from Lost is Lost was such a huge hit and they expanded it because it was this big, big cultural moment that it sort of became a little bit unraveled and didn't quite end as perfectly as it could have yeah. if it would have been a little bit shorter. Tighter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know that the next feature film that Damon has written? No. What is it? it he wrote it with Nick Hughes, who wrote uh, every season of Leftovers. Oh, is him. it the, that movie that got like shut down? The Hunt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did hear about that. What do you mean it got shut down? It, it was going to come out in 2019, and it, oh. and it got. Uh, it was because of some massacre that happened right oh, around that time. Wow! Universal Studios canceled the release of it. Holy shit! Yeah, maybe there's. Yeah, there might be just some pivotal scene where there's just something a little too familiar. I guess it's, because. Well, here's why I'm excited for it though, because uh, Lindelof still, to me, is best when he's dealing in the ethereal. Uh, or the the unknown, basically, when things don't have necessarily a direction. So listen to this log. Uh, the, listen to this uh, description. Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. <laughs> they don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen for a very very specific purpose: the hunt. Whoa! Is that this part of the We Bought a Mic cinematic universe? <laughs> yes. Well, that sounds good to me because I really didn't like Prometheus because it was trying to be economical and it sacrificed all uh, character moments for that. And I, this seems like a Lindelof project that has room to be a little weird. Also, it stars uh, Betty Gilpin of Glow. Yeah, shut my up number it. ten. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Um, she is very talented. Yeah, good for Damon. You Maybe may it'll come out. I don't even know if it'll ever come out. I think it's can't it, like I don't know how it's on out. IMDb. It's, it's it's in post. Uh, I wonder, like, I wonder what the what the issue is specifically. I wonder, like, you know, if there's just a detail that is too similar to a very specific like shooting that happened or something. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, they have to like give it some time. Yeah, yeah. It was know. after the El Paso mass shootings. Like the it was supposed the to Walmart. Come out. Yeah, what? it was supposed to come out like right around that time. Interesting. And they shelved it. Damn. All right. Well, Watchmen, uh, great show. It is one of the best of the year. It is my number two. Hunter, you're number two. My number two is Succession Season 2. All right. Yeah. Hell yeah. L to the OG. And L to the yeah. OG. And so uh, was once, this was another show that we uh, kind of did like almost an episode by episode breakdown and then we we, we, did, dove, a we did a whole wrap up episode. So this is so, also your number two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, is my number five. Number one is Cats, just, just the an, television series. Um, just an incredible season it, of TV. I mean, it really is just like an unbelievable season. Like that they found a way to take everything that was established in season one and then just like 
dial it up to fucking 11. Uh, I mean, the cast is just incredible. This show is going to dominate the Emmys next year. Like, this will be a show that we are, a season that we are still talking about. Uh, going into next year's award season, and deservedly so. I think that everybody gives an incredible performance. Yeah, like, there are is, no bad seeds in this cast. And it's also a true ensemble. Yeah. Like, you could argue that Jeremy Strong is the lead, but in season two, like, you Brian might... Brian Cox Yeah, in well, there. I mean, he, for the first, Shiv. Three, yeah. the first three episodes, he does kind of... I mean, he is like a shell of himself. Like, yeah. he is a puppy dog. Yeah, and it, but it's, I'm just saying, it's not like a show with a great ensemble that is starring one guy like Barry. This is a show that is about an ensemble. It's about a family, period. Yeah, it's like Game uh, Game of Thrones ended, and HBO was like, "Oh, let's let's figure out if like Westworld or his Dark Materials will be the next what one." If, what if we put like Jesse in in Westworld? Would that I mean, be good? we haven't seen it yet. It might be good, but uh, this good, is but... the next yeah, Game of Thrones, which is so funny that they were like, "We have to go for big fantasy spectacle," and totally missed what made Game of Thrones special, which was the people in a room talking. Yeah. Like that was what always made Game of yeah. Thrones great. Yeah, it's and about... that's what this show does great it's... is Jesse Armstrong's writing. Yeah, it's about stories. And who has a better story <laughs> than Logan Logan? Ayan, <laughs> uh, he playing. It's it's an unbelievable season of TV. I feel uh, it. You couldn't call it underrated because it got uh, you know it got the buzz, it got the praise, and it's going to get the awards. I I I agree with you, Hunter. I think that it's in line for uh, cleaning a, up. I, yeah, it's in line for a very successful Emmys, um, but. In terms of like the history of TV, this is this is up there, and it uh, again, I think the bias against comedy might come into play because it is so comedic. It is it takes time to be exclusively funny, uh, whereas other shows will have a joke here and there in dramatic scenes. This will have comedic scenes. There's a big difference there, uh, and I think there's a difference in public perception of shows that do that. I, I think that even now, when genre is so fluid and meaningless, uh, certain I think certain circles just don't acknowledge that this is on the level of the peakest of peak. Like, this is at the best of the best, like, watermark that a lot of other shows have been at. Um, because the, the level of craft in every arena is perfect. It's perfectly shot. It's perfectly written. Uh, it the acting goes beyond perfection like the acting is better than I could ask for it to be I guess yeah. you know what I mean like the performances uh, version to directions that only these actors could bring to the table yet also somehow uh, they figured out how to make it fit within the framework of a tightly constructed show like there's a lot of things going on that are verging on impossible which is it's just like i said about i think you should leave it's it's a confluence of events that is just miraculous and you feel trapped with these people but you like it yeah you want to be in these rooms well i mean another thing that it is similar to barry another uh sense where where the show ends it could go anywhere in season three like i all guesses are off for like what possibly could go down in season three are we going to get this big standoff are we going to have more kind of bickering between everybody if, and um, family members tearing each other apart and do you guys know if holly sides. hunter's coming back I feel um, like her character might play a big role. I know I, she was she set definitely up, could. She was set up to play a huge role, 
but then that was kind of subverted. Yeah, and then yeah, but and I really then, like the dynamic and she that's, brought. And that's she's, kind of I mean, another thing that I mean by that, where it could go anywhere, is that this is a show that does subvert your expectations in a way that you don't expect. I did quickly want to give a shout out to uh, Nicholas Braun, our boy cousin Greg. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in an A24 movie this year. That nice. should be pretty big. Zola, yeah, that I am very excited Getting a for. lot of Sundance buzz. Um, getting a lot of Sundance love right now. Um, and I... I I wish him all the best. I will always just call him cousin Greg, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, this this is a show that, uh, like a lot of the ones toward the very tops of our list, it it feeds into the critical importance of the casting director, um, because Nicholas Braun, you wouldn't think twice about his career leading up to this. You just simply wouldn't. Kind uh, of boring, lanky guy. Well, and always good. Like, even in a shitty, not shitty, but like a fucking kids movie, like Sky High, he is a standout in that movie. Yeah. But that was like fucking over 10 years ago. And like, who's thinking about that? By the way, the casting director, or one of them is Kim Coleman, who longtime Spike Lee casting director. Yeah. And also, um, Adam Christian McKay, Wallet. very notably, like, is very involved in the casting process of everything he makes. Like, Listeners, he's in that room. Just look up Nicholas Braun Sky High, and you <laughs> will yeah. see a perfect specimen. Yeah. Of you humanity. might not like it, but this is what Pete Performance <laughs> looks like. It's Nicholas Braun going, I glow. <laughs> so, um, really great. Yeah. Brian Cox, uh, I'm. I don't want to like shit on his canon. I haven't seen his canon, but this is like the performance of a lifetime. It feels like, yeah, you know, like this seems like something, I've called it Shakespearean. Yeah, it's something that like a have. career in classical acting would lead up to is this level of of just perfection. I mean, that's the thing about this show is that it's so layered. I several of the episodes this season I watched uh, twice. You know, like I would watch it the night it would come out and then I would watch it again the next night because I was just like, there is nothing that I could watch right now that would be better than what I watched last night. So I'm just going to watch it again. Yeah. And I got more out of it because these performance or performances are so impeccable that I get more out of them with subsequent viewings. Yeah. I, I watched the final seven episodes of this in a day because... Yeah. I, it was a similar feeling of like, well, what else am I going to fucking put on? Right. Like, this is this is the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing better I could put on right it's now. So good. It's it's it's, it, it's unbelievable. It's it's a show that uh, doesn't pull any punches regarding its characters, even though you would think that they would try to make you love them. It trusts that you can see the inherent humanity in the performances rather than writing in humanity. Well, I, it's such a fine line to walk on a show like this where everybody is a bad person. Like, we're watching billionaires bicker. Like, there's a moment in the season finale there. It's like, I can you just give me a loan, like, just a little, like, hundred mil to, like, get me by? <laughs> like, it, it's unfathomable like these people's lifestyles like nobody lives like this that we know (laughs) in this world and the result is that they're emotionally stunted people yeah like Like, they are all like just grown babies like what we get with tom in the finale particularly like we we see that he is so i mean he wears his vulnerability on his sleeve because he's not good at (laughs) being like a sociopath 
uh, more than other characters, but like Kieran Culkin, we see vulnerability, mm-hmm. even if it's not like written in a scene where he's like, you know what? I feel things, okay? You know, there's yeah. none of that. There's it's all the nuance. Who says that in this show unless it's like a funny scene where everyone laughs at that character? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, that's not where you see the humanity. It's in the or per- when I absolute mean, perfection of these performances. There's a moment in the finale when... Um, Roman is trying to like have a genuine moment with his siblings and he's like hey can we talk about like what we're feeling right now and he says it in like this self mocking way yeah and everyone's just like immediately shitting on him yeah like oh fucking yeah yeah, but you can tell that it's like he really wants to just needs like some kind of real yeah it's these are broken people and you never doubt that for a second and even despite that you still just want to spend time with them i also wanted to shout out the moment where um um what's his name kendall is running on the treadmill and he's listening to lcd sound system yeah I felt that. that. I felt that. Uh, all right. Really similar, you and Kendall. Yeah. Yeah. We're both moguls. Um, My sex life is similar to Roman and Jerry. <laughs> You're in the bathroom Jesus jerking Christ. off yeah. on the other side of the jerking door. Jerking off to your mother figure. <laughs> yeah. It's just my mom, though. Oh, Beth, no. I hope Beth Woo! listens for this episode. Off. Hey, no one does, brother. <laughs> I, can, I, I can do what I want here. Okay. Sorry, uh, SNL. That's Succession. It's uh, Drew and Hunter's number two, and it's my number five. Number one. So let's get into your number one first, Ernest, because me and Drew, I'm assuming, share the same one. My number one is Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy shit. This show is only five episodes, and they hit like a f- fucking radioactive explosion in your face. Holy shit. When we were watching Game of Thrones this summer and they played the previews for this show, it just looked like standard peak TV, you know, filler. It looked like it was just... Yeah, you were not in. I was in on the show because also I just love, like, the story of Chernobyl and how it all happened fascinated me. It just seemed like HBO trying to, like, just fill their their slate with some real world shit. And I didn't want to watch it. I honestly was not interested. I was like, why would I want to watch a show about the fucking Chernobyl disaster? Like, I could be watching, I don't know, anything else. Yeah. And the Bachelorette. Exactly. Lee said that she was very interested in it. She really was very intrigued by the previews and she wanted to check it out. And I uh, got to admit that I'm very, I hog the TV most nights and I was like, what? I got to, I got to give her, I got to <laughs> give her the, the chance to put on what she wants. And God damn, I'm glad I did because this show is not only the best show of the year for me, but it is one of the most important shows I've ever seen in my life. It is about truth it is about the power of truth. It's about the lengths that people will go to subvert the truth mm-hmm. and to hide it and to snuff it out because of its power and to try to trounce it and bury it and overcome it. And it is so poignant to the moment that we're living right now in this country. And it is yeah, just... we got these libs trying to spread lies about the president. Here yeah. We, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
You thought that the loudest voice was like pro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I watched the loudest voice. Pro Republican. Like, right? Wait, the Russell Crowe? Yeah. <laughs> Why did you watch that? I haven't watched he it. I do, kind of, I do kind of actually want to watch it, but I, I won't. Uh, Jared Harris is the, mm. the core of this cast. We got Stellan Skarsgård in there too. We got Emily Watson. Jared Harris is awesome. I didn't, I gotta say, I didn't see it. Um, and it's because I don't acknowledge uh, the Russian community as human. Right. Well, so what if I told you that the one of my favorite choices about this show is that they don't try and speak in Russian accents? I can't tell you how grateful I am that I didn't have to hear like five hours of people doing bad Russian accents. And they're like, guess what? It's a British cast. We're just going to fucking yeah. talk English. Okay. Like, that's, we're not going to try and like, distract you from what the message of this show is. And also, I mean, Craig Mazin, of course, uh, uh produced and wrote these episodes every episode johan rennick his direction yeah. is haunting there is one episode i believe it is the second to last episode where we see these men uh work the site of the explosion to try to bury the burning emitting reactor with graphite they go to the top of this roof and they try to shovel these pieces of graphite into the wreckage to try to snuff out this pulsating radioactive hot fire and it is some of the most terrifying yeah. shit there's I've a ever moment seen. where there's a guy who's in the suit who's there and he like tears a suit or something like that and it's it's terrifying like you were like screaming at him i was the direction um it reminds me johan rennick i'm not sure if he's a fan or what or if vice versa but it reminds me a lot of denis villeneuve's direction uh where it definitely it has a stylistic yeah. look to it uh specifically with something like enemy or blade runner 2049 where it feels otherworldly even if it is supposed to be in the world that we are living well, in now it feels almost like and i mean it's less so with chernobyl because it, it but it has this kind of teal green affectation to it where denise work has a lot of oranges and yellows yeah. and stuff but they do have this over stylized uh style to them where it's very muted the this color palette that you're seeing here well um, there's a texture to it yeah. too where there are moments where you feel the radiation coming off the screen you you get this tension this this fear inside of you where you feel like you are there like it is being emitted into you like I've never felt anything like that, you know, to see a shot. I think it's in the very first episode where you see these people very far off looking at the, the smoke of the burning reactor in the distance. And you get the slow motion shot of the, the ash falling in front of them as they're just on this bridge looking. And you're just like, oh, my God, these people are breathing in this fucking radioactive yeah, air. Yeah, they have no idea. They have no idea. There's so many moments like that. There, There's moments where you see the the trees in the, the, the surrounding area dying off as it's spreading. You see birds falling out of the sky, dying on the pavement. There's a moment where these guys are going into the reactor, into the lower water 
cooling pipes into the darkness and their fucking flashlights aren't working and you're right there with them mm-hmm. in the pitch black as they try to maneuver their way. This is a, another show I would say um, don't I wouldn't recommend binging the show probably not good for your mental health yeah. <laughs> much like euphoria. Um, I also think that this show it walks uh, it, it rides the line between you watch it and you think this could only happen in like the USSR like this would only happen in a government that uh, like suppresses truth and everything else but the way that it ties together oh, into America episode. today and Jared Harris's uh, monologue that he gives yeah. whenever he's in the courtroom really ties it together that this is happening all over the world like this is yeah. still happening not in America it's, it's not a, in Britain it feels at first whenever you're watching it when they're trying to just like cover it up we'll just cover it up much like just putting graphite <laughs> on top of these radiating fumes we're just going to cover it up and then we we'll just won't talk about it and we'll like anything that happens we'll just say like well they already had cancer so that's why they died yeah, cover-ups are not exclusive to governments right no no but <laughs> it's like a very it's, capitalist but thing. it's so it crazy ties it together very well there's a moment where the radiation is just out of control. It's just going right into the atmosphere. And countries like Germany and Sweden are telling their residents to stay indoors because their instruments have detected the radiation coming out of Chernobyl. And the own Russian Soviet government is still denying that anything is going wrong. When you have these other nations, hundreds of, or thousands of miles away telling their residents to be wary of this disaster and the location where it's actually occurring is denying all of it like that speaks so much about not just the 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 disaster itself but about what made what defined the Soviet Union in this era mm-hmm. and this idea of denying any shortcomings of striving for perfection and 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 positioning yourself to be this this leader this perfect entity that had nothing wrong they needed to position themselves as this power and any sign of weakness was absolutely unacceptable and there are so many moments that add up to that i mean there's the the flashback scene that we see what actually happens in the control room of the reactor and the moments that led up to the explosion itself i mean we see this thing from every possible angle i mean there's even one episode that touches on these soldiers where we see this one soldier played by barry cohing of um uh dunkirk Dunkirk fame who has to fucking shoot radioactive dogs and kill them because they're a danger because they've been poisoned by the radioactivity of this it's a nightmare holy fuck it gets so dark so morbid yeah if you ever uh it's. I'm assuming it's very similar to reading the Wikipedia page about Chernobyl. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly like because that. that is one of the darkest. Well, pages. I mean, if you've ever, I'm, I don't doubt that you have, since you haven't watched the show, Drew. Um, but that wasn't meant to be a slight. I feel like that came out. That came off more passive aggressive than that intended to come off. But Craig Mazin has done a few interviews and stuff where he's talked about that, like this whole thing came from just a late night of just Wikipedia oh, deep really? diving. Yeah. Like this all happened one day where he was just well, like, there was a book too. There was a book that he read and then he was kind of inspired by that. And then he just like stayed up until three in the morning, just like researching it. Like, 
how did this happen was his like question that he kept coming back to is how did Chernobyl happen and then like it became like oh my god this could happen again yeah and that's why he was like I have to make the show because Craig Mason is a guy he kind of has a classic Hollywood story to him where he tried to make it as a writer director shit movies never made it had to keep taking shit jobs in which he was just like punching up scripts pretty much which happens for so many people and then finally got a chance with hbo that they would just give him carte blanche and the let dude's him do talented it. yeah and it's now Holy shit. he finally has his breakthrough and now craig mason can do whatever he wants another uh, uh podcast plug um the chernobyl podcast series yeah. that the hbo put out they also did one for Watchmen too yeah only with, three ups yeah um but the Chernobyl podcast specifically is incredible. Yeah. To also, to. Uh, before we move on, I did want to give a shout out to Jesse Buckley, who plays like the the firefighter's wife and her whole mm-hmm. story with her, uh, you know, her baby and all of that, uh, who is in Wild Rose, Wild a Rose. very underrated film from last year. And she gives a, a really great performance. Just such a great cast. Such a great show. Really tremendous. Uh, one and an all timer for show. It was it was between this and Watchmen for my number one spot, and I just had to give it to Chernobyl because it's only five episodes. It got in, got out quick, and just hit every point in the bullseye, dead on. Mm. Perfect, perfect show. It's my number one. Let's get to the big one, boys, before we close yeah. it out. Let's my six hundred pound life. Really great season this year. Like somehow season thirty six, they really got their best stuff. So you know, frankly, you're actually, you know, what? I've talked a lot about this show on and off mic. I held the podcast hostage, and I was like, I we refused. cannot we cannot be held seriously Hunter, as a pop culture no. podcast. You know what? St- no, stop right now. No, we're not doing this. <laughs> You you are not the driving force behind me watching was, the most critically acclaimed me. show like nobody's ever. talking about this show. <laughs> Literally nobody has said you're anything not about why it. I wa- you're why I didn't you watch know, this Phoebe for Waller so Bridge, long. I actually got her a God job in Rogue One I because hate, of my this. high reviews. No, it's because of you that I put off watching it because I was like, I don't want to give Hunter this. <laughs> <laughs> I would have watched your it new favorite band is Coheed yeah, now, so we should yeah, say he actually didn't watch Fleabag. It's Twin Peaks: The Return. Oh, sweet. You got at, lots at of your thoughts yeah, at your request. Um, no, Fleabag is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and one funny thing uh, about it is uh, a lot of people are like, "Listen, just uh, stick it out till season two. Like season two is where it really season one is like it's amazing. Really, it's amazing. Yeah. I was watching season one. Like it gets way better. No, it, <laughs> it, it can't. There's no such thing as way better than season one. It's yeah. better in season two, but it's not season one and two of this are some of the best TV like ever created. Uh, it's singular uh, in the vein of like the other a lot of other shows we talked about. Only one mind could have come up with this. Uh, the level of precision that Phoebe has in every aspect of what she's doing here uh writing like immensely precise uh the the uh surgery to combine like high comedy and high drama uh is is incredible but also what i didn't expect because i haven't heard as much about it is her acting is actually it's not like wow she's really good for like the creator of the show it's like no 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 no. this is actually some of the best acting i've ever seen in my life like her the expressiveness in her face the amount of control she has over every muscle in her face yeah uh and combined of course with the fact that she is uh breaking the fourth wall 
uh, probably like five times an ep. Season two, it becomes more of like a looking at the camera thing as opposed to like a speaking to the camera thing. But to do that uh, without missing even close to a beat in every single scene that you are like doing asides and speaking directly to camera and going back into the scene, uh, that is... First of all, that's a notion that is hard to pull off off bat. Like there's you hear that and you're like, uh, what is this like just Jordan on Nickelodeon? Like she's going to be like, freeze. No, that was freeze pretty, frame. Yeah, that was pretty fucked up. Should I fuck this guy? <laughs> like the fact it that aughts. the fact that it all works is uh, it's above me. You know, like it, it's it's high art. It is uh, singular achievement. It is. This is the difference between this and catastrophe to me among, of course there are many, but the biggest one is this wasn't a show that I wanted more because it would make it better because there's no way to make this show better. Uh, I wanted more just because it was perfect. Um, But there is no tweak to be made involving this show. It is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. I, I put this at number six on my best TV of the decade list. And really it could be like, a top three show of the decade. Like, I really think it would be top five for me. It's, it's so fucking, it's just, it's on another playing field. I mean, the entire cast is amazing. Like, of course, Andrew Scott is hot priest. So incredible. So I had been seeing, obviously I'd been seeing him like making the rounds at all all these events that the whole cast is going to do. And I was like, hot priest <laughs> and then you watch him and you're like god i want to he has yeah. such a charisma well, to him it's, it's, it is the scene in the confessional i was like very aroused <laughs> yeah, the, the closest thing that you could compare it to is a young ruffalo because it's like he's goofy he definitely like yeah he, is not traditionally like attractive he's traditionally like pretty like if you saw him in real life you'd think he was good looking but on camera he's definitely not in like a but then he puts on those robes but it's no it's just all about like the the goofiness the earnestness of the character like he just he plays it so perfectly i i could not have been won over faster by this man like the second i saw him i was like oh there it is this is why everyone's talking about him like he is uh he's coming through and uh it, it's a big shift in season two the biggest shift uh beside the one from like uh more comedic to more dramatic is uh more about fleabag to less about fleabag mm-hmm. it's it's becomes more of an ensemble show we get more of olivia coleman being like the worst uh oh. character i've like one of the most hateable people I've ever seen on TV. But she's, she's so good. good. She's, she's so, so good. fucking good. Like, and a My lot queen. Yeah. She, she, I mean, yeah, we already knew that she was like a goddess. Yeah. Her from, dad, that's a whole subplot right there. Uh, yeah. Really yeah. What's resonant. his name? Bill, Bill Patterson. One of the most uh, breathing with like real life performances. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. he, he's not a very talkative guy. Well, he's, so the performance has to be very, uh, subdued and almost mute yeah it has yeah it is almost mute because this is a character it's not the act it's a character who like can't find words it's not even that he's not talkative he struggles to speak mm-hmm. like and he's he, not good at and talking he has moments where he wants to have a connection with his daughters and he just can't yeah yeah do it. it's i mean it's is very much like a lot of fathers that are out there where like they want to do more but yeah. they can't formulate the senses i also i mean we have to talk about the sister dynamic with how do we Sam say Clifford. her name do you know for Sian, sure? Cyan. 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 
her she's and so so her relationship with brett fucking gelman yeah brett gelman uh might be a close second to olivia coma as far as people that i fucking hate yeah like really is, really shit especially guy. in season two like you're yeah. like oh dear god but i hate this guy. i i wanted to talk about sian or sean or whatever clifford for more than a moment because she is fleabag's sister uh, you know, the uptight sister that has layers upon layers of depth. And a lot of it comes down to her performance. It's not just on the script. This She is deeply funny. Like her every look that she gives, if it's intended for comedy, it lands 100% of the time. She's the only other character that's in every episode. The, um, the haircut. So uh, I the cut over to her. Oh wow! I also think that like they also have such a real relationship of a sister dynamic yeah. where you have like the perfect child who resents the other or who Fleabag resents her because she is the perfect child, and then the the other sister resents Fleabag because she's the one who always has to get attention. In order yeah, well, and she's also she is she sees Fleabag as Sean the, the is effortlessly the, is the really pronunciation according to Wikipedia. Okay. She's just effort. Like she thinks Fleabag is effortlessly cool. Meanwhile, she secretly is incredibly successful. Yeah. Like we find out like like the third to last episode that she's actually doing really well. Um, and is going to get like a promotion yeah. or something. But that performance, the show in in that way, it reminds me of High Maintenance where you can go down the board to the single episode players and it's just home runs all across the board. Like everyone is perfectly cast and they could not do a better job. Yeah. The I creepy mean, son. <laughs> yeah, dude, the creepy son is also yeah. incredible. I, I think that, I mean, the season finale specifically has made, I've never felt that way while watching an episode of television where I was like laughing audibly out loud, cr- like tearing up. The series and then, finale, right? Yeah, the series yeah, yeah, finale. Yeah, yeah. And then like actually like I clapped at certain moments that happened on the screen. Like I've never felt that range of emotions in like 25 minutes. Like no show has ever affected me in the way that this is. I think that's why I think this is my favorite piece of art that came out this year. Yeah, like it's, movie or TV. It's really like. Uh, to the uh, lowest, to the least contributing like artists involved in the show, everything about it is perfect. Also, every episode but one directed by the same person. So you gotta... Also, wanted to give a shout out to uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's older sister, Isabel Waller-Bridge, who does all the music. Oh, composes wow. all the music in it. There's a, a couple moments from the first season that I really love. Um, uh, comedically, there's one beat where... Um, they are at uh, Olivia Coleman's um, like art show, and there's like the wall of like the penis <laughs> cast, mm. and, and she picks her. She knows her dad's she's like, dick. She's like, "Which one's your dad's?" She's like, "That she one." She gets it right, and then Olivia Coleman's like upset. And yeah, she's like, oops. <laughs> like, it's not even like she was doing it to piss her off. It's just, Olivia Coleman's like, "What?" That is gold right yeah. there. That is fucking so- gold. Also, I wanted to shout out the tooth guy, the teeth guy yeah, from you the gotta, first season, you Jamie Dimitri, yeah. which is funny because in all of his pictures on Google, it's just him with a closed smile because <laughs> those fucking well, he teeth. Doesn't, he does not have those teeth. No, I know. Like, he but probably it's... doesn't have good teeth because he is British, but yeah. he doesn't have those fuck because that is prop comedy. Like that, that's the, the, the big beauty. old chomper. Yeah, that's the beauty of the show is it combines like really like simply funny things or like the creepy son like playing a bassoon song at the wedding and the song is called where's claire (laughs) like that's just that's like pure comedy but it's just in the middle of uh really uh messy drama um and 
most of the credit has to go to Phoebe, but this is one of those across the board, hundred percent. Like you, you couldn't ask for a better performance. Yeah, she is the show. Like yeah. it, this wouldn't happen yeah. without her. And also the the fact that there is a three year gap between seasons. Yeah, uh, and yet it improves upon itself is you can't take that for granted. That's like, and it, it is all one arc, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where in the first season you have this woman who is coping with this loss of her friend and is completely broken by what she's done. And you don't even find out until the very end what she's done. Yeah. Um, and then in the second season, it's her coming out of that. It's her trying bottom. to be better. That's, and that's kind of where the season starts and the season ends at the exact same spot for Phoebe but you can tell that she has matured that she has learned from the events that take place in the season and one of the things that makes it a masterpiece in my opinion is how it uses the fourth wall breaking the looking to the camera where it's not just a gimmick it's not just a fun quip uh it's actually like thematic where it's a coping mechanism exactly in the first season it's a way for her to deal to escape from what has happened and in the second season it's like an acknowledgement of what the audience knows like we are there with her and she's looking at us because she understands that that we know that that we yeah understand her more than anybody else uh and then the way it ends is her leaving all of that behind and knowing that she can be on her own and not need us anymore it's it's the best way that a show has like told the audience that it's over yeah ever Mm -hmm. because it was not a known thing it wasn't like a breaking bad the final season deal it but there's no even if i hadn't known because i did know just because of news that it was over but watching that finale you're like there That's was it. there was no chance in hell she was going to renew this show. She literally tells yeah, you. Yeah, she's like, no, I don't need you anymore. Away. Yeah, I don't. It's okay. I'm going to be all right. You can yeah. you can let me go. Oh, and it's so, so good. good. I'm One, getting chills just yeah. like thinking about it's, those final it, moments. It's fucking beautiful. One uh note that my girlfriend allison said is that it's all it's real. It's not a one for one analogy, but it's really close to us being her friend that died. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we're almost. Exactly well, it's, that. it's like we're the reminder of it. We're like the embodiment. Yeah. Well, of it. yeah. Exactly. A lot of it is if she could talk to her friend about what's happening, this is what she would yeah, say. We're, like we're because the, there's the a familiar. Yeah, because there's an immediate familiarity between us and her. It's like yeah, it's her thinking like if I had a friend, this is what I would tell yeah, them. And so it. in season two, when she gets a friend, she doesn't need us as much, and eventually doesn't need us at all because she realizes that she is what she needs. And it's so again that final scene where they are in love mm-hmm. but he's a priest like mm-hmm. he can't do it he he has it, it, he can't have a girlfriend spoilers. and be a priest spoilers yeah oh yeah whatever it's chernobyl fine. chernobyl uh, killed some people yeah um <laughs> no it it is uh it's just gorgeous like it is i had a i had a cry about it like hours later yeah it's one of those things where you're sitting on it, you're like fuck man yeah, yeah. damn it <laughs> did you watch it all in one in one go the entire show except for the pilot yeah. i watched uh i mean it's non-stop it sucks with, you in man. yeah with my girlfriend too because she was you know i was like i i can't guarantee you're gonna like this but by the end we were both like we could not i couldn't get up to piss yeah well i was <laughs> i i was really when this came out i was really anxious about watching it uh, with Lee because I knew she would love it and she 
<laughs> the thing is, you is like, why would she... you give her things that she yeah, likes? That no, no, no. Sucks. Sherry got Chernobyl. You get one a year. She doesn't have a lot of time to watch things, and I just had to like oh, squeeze so you would have it to wait. In, yeah, and I was like, God, I really want to watch this, but I really want to watch it with her. And it was like building up, like the 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 anticipation for it was building up, and I was like, I I need to watch this with Lee. And we finally had a free day to just fucking binge the yeah. whole thing. And it was glorious. Yeah, it's just, it's, oh. it's pure beauty. Uh, Harry Bradbeer is the mm-hmm. guy who directed 12 of the episodes. Uh, this man put in work. Uh, not all, obviously a lot of credit goes to uh, editors in terms of uh, crediting the editing because the editing is uh pretty uh unparalleled like it's you know it, it's techniques that we're familiar with but not a frame is wasted yeah put together in such a way this gorgeous the way yeah the way uh oftentimes it'll cut to like a severe overhead dutch angle when she's speaking to us yeah. and then like straight back to the convo the way that in the middle of a comedic scene really dark flashbacks pop up uh, particularly in season one before we mm-hmm. know exactly what happened with her friend uh a lot of just like hard line choices that uh 100% paid off. Like it is it is a 100 out of 100 in my book. Yeah, it it is yeah. perfect in every single way. I wouldn't change a single thing about it. And I'm I just like I love that it is just this one piece. I'm glad that it's not coming back. I'm I'm it's bittersweet because of course I want more, but like you can't do anything else with this character no, that like it this began is one where it's and totally ended on okay the perfect thing that like it's I just I I can't wait for whatever Phoebe Waller Bridge does next. She's I mean, supposed this is to be involved with few, uh, Killing Eve season yeah, three. This is one of the few things which, of course, she was a big hand in the first season, especially of Killing yeah. Eve. Um, I think she created but, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, but I just I whatever she does for the rest of her life, like I'm just all in on because of this show because it has it. it it's one of the few things in this world that has this ins- this unreachable potential to it and it somehow still surpasses that expectation yeah. like yeah. i can't i don't know like that hardly ever happens especially with tv shows i feel like it can happen a little bit with movies but well, it's because it's so tight right yeah. it, it, it is a movie yeah. it is a movie it's a movie split up into six the, parts the way that she catches us up in season two because in uh showtime it's just over a year that passes even though in real life it was three uh, and she, it's masterful uh, directing, editing, everything, writing. Uh, but she's just like, you know how sometimes you, and then it cuts to a like mega fast montage of everything that she's done. She's like, and then you, and then, and it's so good. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, it's a, it's a series oh, of, and the, the dine, the uh, restaurant episode yeah. the first yeah. episode yeah. Season it's two. just Oof. it's a series of techniques that i'm like well familiar with but just stitched together in a way that only one person could do yeah and that's the definition of like perfect tv i don't know what else you could want fuck yeah fucking flea bag fuck me in the ass uh it's drew and hunter's number one it's my number three let's hit some quick honorable mentions because we're rounding out the three hour mark here before we wrap up uh, stop me if you want to chat on any of these, but I'm just going to round some off. My number 11, which in any other year would make the list, is The Marvelous Mrs. That's, Maisel. That's my number 11, too. Yeah, I, just, it, it hurt me to cut that it's from the list. It's just a fucking awesome show. It's, like, this season is just as good. It might be the best season yet that they've done. It's right there with season two yeah. for me. I'm excited for, for what's to come. They leave it off on a little bit of a melancholy note. 
uh and i'm i'm really excited to work to see where they take it uh documentary now yeah really oh fuck i forgot about that can i put that my number 10 this season it it almost moved past comedy like it, it you know it became about how meticulously perfect it is i think John Mulaney gives a truly phenomenal performance in the co-op episode. Uh, just so good. So, um, so good. I watched, I mean, this last year I watched season one of Big Little Lies. <laughs> you didn't watch and season two? No, but oh, okay. I, I never had the chance to put that in any list prior. And that season one of that show is it's great. really yeah. incredible. Um, I think that gets my You Can Quit Now award where it's like let's not let's not overdo I, this i think that it, i think season two uh i wanted to mention it because i thought that season two was very fun even if it's very flawed Meryl, that, that's why i, I still, didn't watch i still it thought that it was really fun that, like i had a good time watching i know it. that description just scares me enough to not watch it i mean Meryl's it's still great. like some of the best actors in yeah, on the poor no, dern um a show that came out right after the new year that would have made this list is Medical Police. Uh, I want to mention it now because I don't know if it's going to make my 2020 list, but my God, it's a funny show. It's on Netflix. It's David Wayne. It's slapstick. It's it's everything I want out of comedy. Yeah. Um, a couple other shows that I wanted to highlight. Um, I talked about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia season 14. The boy, they still got it. I mean, there's that. It's if you like the show, it hasn't really lost much of a beat. There's some incredible episodes um, in this season. Um, there's one in particular. I think it's the second episode that has a, a Dolph Lundgren himself in it. Um, it's it's really great. Um, Righteous Gemstones. I talked about whenever it came out. Really good show. It's another one of those shows that really gets better as the season gets going and it kind of tackles this idea of the mega church culture and how like it doesn't attack religion as a whole but it attacks this one little sect and how like toxic it all is um queer eye two seasons that came out this past kind year kind of fell off on that one uh it I think that the first uh, season, that, season three that came out early in the year is really incredible. There's one episode uh, where they go to a couple of women that uh, own like a barbecue restaurant. Oh, that, is, that was this year? Yeah, okay. that was an incredible yeah, episode of television. Yeah. Um, Stranger Things 3? That Gelman, that one gets my it's, nostalgia yeah. award. Gelman! <laughs> Actually, the nostalgia award might go to Watchmen, but... Yeah, Stranger Things gets it. Um, I don't OD on nostalgia. Game of Thrones had its moments. That is my biggest disappointment. I mean, it's the biggest disappointment. It's easily the biggest disappointment. I still think that there are some seedlings of good things that are in the show. That a lot of money. Don't don't ask Reddit because they'll say that you're a fucking idiot if you liked anything. The production about that value. Game of Thrones, the entire show is bad now because of this season. Um, yeah, they're like wheeling a guillotine to D and D's house right now. Um, a show that I liked some episodes of and then I fell off because I canceled my CBS All Access <laughs> subscription Twilight is Zone. Twilight Zone. Yeah. Some really good episodes in there. Um, didn't didn't care for much of it. Some big misses. Maybe I'll get it back for Picard. Eh. Probably not. Here's a, here's a few more. Uh, BoJack Horseman uh, is going to be wrapping up its I final didn't put season. that on there. I didn't put that in Good Place on my list just because it's, it's half. Kinda, it's it's an incomplete split. season. Yeah, Rick and right. Morty too. 
Yeah, yeah. Rick and Morty. Uh, Russian Doll, really cool experiment on Netflix. That's another I didn't finish. So uh, Natasha Leone, but that's a great show, man. Really good one. High Maintenance, always good. Mm. Uh, End of the Fucking World on Netflix, just really Season nuts, two. really out there. Yeah, great show. Um, the Mandalorian, you know, ended I, up being pretty good. Mando is on my honorable mentions. I think that that's a really good show. Like, I think that that is actually like a legitimately yeah, really good show. It's not changing the world, but Mando. It, it is setting its itself up to be something really interesting. You know, uh, I think Baby Yoda is one of the most genius marketing moves of all time. It also might be the cutest creature ever yeah. created in fiction yeah uh killing eve that second season was pretty strong sorry babu frick <laughs> and babu frick. also uh speaking of shows that ended uh this year a series of unfortunate events on netflix uh that one's near and dear to my heart really happy to see that one wrap up on a satisfying note and crashing hbo that gets the good for you bud award <laughs> Second year running. Um, Second year running. (laughs) Oh, Pete. It's solid. You know, it's not anything transcendental, but he does some good stuff in there. It's, yeah. No, it actually was a good show. I didn't watch the final season because I finally had, uh, had, you know, it had had run its course in my mind, I guess. Uh, a, A big part of my issue with it is he, Pete is so spiritual and so... Uh, into the death of ego and yet and yet and yet period (laughs) you know that's like the nail in the coffin right there because if 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 apatow gives him his his own show that's the opportunity to go in on your weirdo ram does spiritual shit. shit exactly and he just doesn't but he still manages to do a pretty fun take on like the the grind of the of the comedy scene and trying to make it as as a as a quote-unquote clean comic and whatnot and still have to ride for his stand-up being really really good i i don't care what anyone says was that that was 2018 right uh faces and sounds i think that was he had one after that oh he did you need to watch it where was it same hbo oh it's great okay he is he i mean that's what he's best at he's not best at making tv and that's fine and last but not least i've already uh borderline traumatized people at parties talking about this one but it's leaving neverland on hbo uh the michael jackson documentary two-parter uh interview with the allegated uh allegations of the the boys that he molested uh really harrowing harrowing tale um one of those things that you know i wouldn't recommend but i am glad that i know the 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 through the through the whole truth of it for the most part from the perspective of the documentary um you know not quite great tv but still notable for the for the year um that's pretty much everything i think uh the other the only other ones i had on here were things like the good place and um Really good. I mean, I really like what they're doing on this last season, especially I've watched a yeah. couple episodes of the second half. I think there's only one year. episode left. Is it, there really it, only yeah. one left? It oh airs, my God. It airs uh, two days from now, and that's wow. it. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with that. Before we wrap up, what are we looking forward to in 2020 for TV? Westworld 3? Anybody? 
I'm I'm intrigued. I wouldn't yeah. say I'm excited by it, but I am intrigued by it. I did mention before a show that is out now that I had no expectations for because it's late King late Stephen King, which I'm not a fan of. Pretty much once Stephen King stopped doing drugs, I didn't I haven't really liked his <laughs> writing as much. No offense, Stephen King. Glad you're in a better place mentally, but The Outsider is a really, really great uh, HBO show. Uh, It's on episode four now. Ben Mendelsohn is incredible. Jason Bateman directs the first two episodes. Bateman making moves. Yeah, Bateman is, he is making moves. I'm really excited to check out uh, Better Call Saul season five should be coming out in about a month yeah we talked so. about some of them the show like of course succession and barry they're coming back succession this year. barry pen 15 rami rami uh rami. uh i think you should leave uh that's one that i almost don't, i don't know if it'll be this no year. that's what it i was might gonna be say 21 i want it to be 21 because uh i i want them to sit on it because when this came out it was like oh he's had ideas you know i want yeah. i want him to have like a, a loaded gun yeah, uh, I'm trying to see real quick what else we got on the on the horizon. Uh, Aquafina has something on Comedy Central. Yeah, apparently it's all right. No. Uh, High maintenance, of course, coming back for another one. They could keep making that show forever, yeah. and it'll always be good. Um, the Mass Singer, anyone? What are you looking at? <laughs> we could just end it. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. We've been potting for like five hours. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Um, we will be back next week with our final list of mania, the best movies of 2019, and our predictions of who will take home the Academy Awards. Where, we where, will lock in our, our ballots. Where, also, where? maybe we'll come back with Hunter being bankrupt from the Super Bowl. Yeah, hopefully. that is quite possible. I am already taking out money from loan sharks so yeah please for stick the around uh, if we're missing me next week then we know what happened <laughs> please uh recommend the pod and leave us a review check us out on social media email us all that good shit thanks for listening we love you goodbye bye